the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. to another adventure here on Southern Center, listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, and today's guest host is the one, the only, the audacious, cool Mike. Good afternoon, Mikey. How are you today? Wonderful, Annie. Thank you for having me. Um, Curtis always gets handsome and attractive. What uh, am I, don't I qualify there? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I can uh, add that in there uh, because the picture I have up on the video that's up on Facebook has you wearing that CNN T-shirt. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Trump <laughs> on CNN. <laughs> so you're handsome. So I love it. <laughs> well, I've, uh, thank you for having well, me uh, to come off the bench to help, uh, and I'm really excited. Uh, Brandon Stryka, um, you know, I, I followed him for a while, so it's pretty exciting to actually talk to him. Yeah, he's been on the show before. This is going to be his second appearance here. Uh, we had him on right after he started the Walk Away uh, campaign. And, man, believe it or not, it was one year ago he started that campaign. So this weekend he's celebrating the first anniversary, which makes it really auspicious that he is going to be with us today. Uh, we're also going to have John Hawkins, and a lot of people know him from Right Wing News. And he also has a new website called Brass Pills which is a website tailored to men. Because, uh, you know, Mike, you know, you guys are really getting beaten up really, really pretty badly with this uh, Me Too movement and the false allegations that came to uh, really ahead with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, so he's going to be on with us. He's been on in the past, 
uh, he hasn't been with us for a couple of years, and that's my fault. You know, I got to go through my address book and get some of these guests to come back on. And then we're going to close up the show with William G. Highland Jr., and he's got a great book out there uh, called George Mason. And, you know, Mike, everyone, when we talk about the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, we talk about Thomas Jefferson, we talk about uh, James Madison, uh, we talk about everyone else, but no one talks about George Mason. And believe it or not, he's the one that actually penned the Bill of Rights. He was the one to create the first Constitution for a state within the 13 colonies. Uh, and he's regulated to second class, but he should be at the top of the list. So it's going to be an exciting show. Well, great. You always have an exciting show. Two weeks ago, it was beyond great. Um, but yeah, and, and that's very, very true. One, one of the neat things about your, our last guest is that he's going, he's going to be able to basically probably educate all of us on exactly who George Mason is. If you think about it, you're right. He was kind of, kind of the person who sat in the back of the bus, the person who was not in first class on the airplane. And so uh, looking forward to it. Always like to know our founding fathers um, and, you know, their history. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great book. I mean, I dropped it on my foot a few times, so I'm putting it up before the camera just to let people see the size of it. <laughs> Damn, it broke my foot. Uh, but it, it's so great to have him on because uh, t- I told you earlier, I'll tell the listeners, uh, tonight, as soon as I get off the air, uh, Yanni's going to have the bags in the car, and we're heading up upstate for our state GOP convention. And we wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for someone like George Mason. And we owe a great debt to our founders, but everyone goes, oh, these are old guys. They're old white guys from the past. Uh, but not that easy to dismiss because a lot of what they were fighting for back then is reoccurring today. And unless we don't know our history, we are bound to repeat it. And that's absolutely true, as we learn every day uh, right now. So I'm, ex- I'm, ex- I'm excited for, uh, to, to hear that. Um, before you, we uh, roll into the show, where is uh, your GOP state convention being held this year? What city? Uh, the outside of our capital, which is Columbia, in a city called Lexington. How apropos, Lexington and Concord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's funny because, it's because you know, uh, talk about people not being aware. Uh, someone was asking me where to go to register to vote. And I says, oh, you've got to go to John Gold Boulevard. And they go, oh, okay. And it went completely over their head that the fact that our voter registration, our, our uh, uh, board of uh, elections is situated on a road called John Galt. And what is who's John Galt? Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, the main character, John Galt. And it just went completely, and also I had to explain it to them and went, oh. So talk about a freedom loving community to name the street that the voter registration is on, John Galt. Wow. That's kind of cool. Yep. Yep. All right. I just want to let people know that if everything looks a little bit different today, um, last Friday, as I was signing off the air, my computer completely crashed. And 
I gave it to the computer guy to repair, and I got it back late last night, and I was up until 3 in the morning trying to get it to work. And the computer that crashed isn't working, so I'm on a different system that's not completely set up. So if I sound a little strange, I look a little strange, it's because I am strange. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And I'm also battling a kitty trying to climb onto my lap. (laughs) When are you not battling the ever um, so famous kitties? (laughs) All six of them. Oh, man. I want to welcome everyone that's listening in over on uh, Facebook and listening in over here on Blog Talk Radio that's up in our chat, as well as in our studio. I see some people listening in uh, on their smart devices and phones. Uh, just remember, if you do want to participate in the conversation, please remember to press 1, and we'll be had, happy to bring you on. Um, welcome aboard, and sit back and enjoy. Anyway, as we go forward, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show uh, to a fallen hero. And uh, today's show is dedicated to uh, Detective William Lee Brewer of Claremont County Sheriff's Office in Ohio. His end of watch was February 2nd of this year. And these dedications are coming from uh, fox19.com. As I go through this, as well as WCPO.com and also from ClaremontSun.com. And it starts off, Claremont County Detective Bill Brewer died in the line of duty while serving and protecting the community he loved. Hundreds of mourners from his beloved community and his law enforcement brothers and sisters were paying their respects to his selfless legacy as he was honored and laid to rest. Bill could always be counted on to do the right thing. Knowing Bill was around just made me feel better, said Sheriff Steve Leahy in a eulogy at his funeral at Mount Carmel Christian Church in Batavia. Bill was dedicated to protecting and helping those less fortunate and in need of assistance. This would be the guy I would want to show up if my family members were in need. Bill gave his life as he lived it, as a hero. The sheriff continued, Bill is gone from us today, but his life and service will never be forgotten. To Bill's family, there are no words capable of providing sufficient comfort. All we can do and will do is pledged undying support and promise to be by your side from this moment forward. The wounds caused by Bill's sudden death will never completely heal, and the void cannot be completely filled. All we can do is honor him by carrying on his legacy and leading our lives as an example for others to follow. Mount Carmel Church officials said more than seven thousand people passed through for visitation. The funeral also brought big numbers of people looking to honor the life of the fallen brother in blue. 1,500 is the conservative estimate of uniformed officers that came in total, the church said in reference to the funeral. That number includes the number of people who came to be part of the procession as the church is not large enough to hold 1,500 guests. Hundreds lined the streets as the procession went by. 
It's a very sad day. I got to see Bill Brewer here in the park a lot, but we're going to miss him because he patrolled our streets and kept us safe, Cecilia Graining said. Brewer, 42, was shot to death during a standoff with a gunman at a Pierce Township apartment complex Saturday night, February 2nd of this year. The second deputy, Lieutenant Nick DeRose, was shot in the ankle and wounded. Prosecutors say the suspect, Wade Edward Wynn, feigned suicide and was waiting in ambush when Brewer and the other officers went to the apartment to try to help him. The sheriff had sharp and harsh words for Wynn. Screw you. He also referred to him as that a-hole in my jail. He said he toned down his remarks about the suspect because of the children here and we are in church. Brewer worked at the sheriff's office 20 years and leaves behind a wife and five-year-old son. He is the first deputy with the sheriff's office to be killed in the line of duty since 1966. Brewer is also the fifth local law enforcement officer to die in the past two months. The death has shaken local law enforcement, but they have not broken their strong bond and support for one another. That was evident Friday by an overwhelming turnout of police vehicles, including many of the SWAT teams participating in the funeral procession to the church and then from the church to Pierce Township Cemetery. At the cemetery, Brewer was laid to rest with many customs of police funerals, the riderless horse, the playing of taps, a 21-gun salute, and folding the American flag. Brewer County Sheriff Richard Jones said his office reached out to Claremont County Sheriff's Office and offers the use of their wagon, which was custom-made to replicate the ones used to carry soldiers to their graves at Arlington National Cemetery. Brewer will be the latest in more than 30 law enforcement and military personnel locally, statewide, and nationally carried to their final resting spot by the sheriff's caisson, according to Jones. Sadly, he noted, the caisson was just used for the funeral a few weeks ago for Coleraine Township Police Officer Dale Woods. It's shocking that we've had it out so much in the past few weeks, he said. The ideal situation would to be never to use it, that we would train to use it but never use it and just be prepared. But the times that we live in right now, police officers are getting shot while they pump gas, while they eat, while they respond first calls, while they try to help people. The trend is trending up, not down. And this is what these officers face every single day when they put the badge on. Detective Bill Brower will be widely remembered for his sacrifice after he was killed while attempting to render aid to a man during an overnight standoff in Williamsburg. His old coaches are also remembering him for his athletic ability and attitude. Brewer made a name for himself in football and baseball fields and on the basketball court as a student of Williamsburg High School. Brewer was highly competitive, but never healed. He picked up all city, all state, and Hall of Fame recognition. 
He really didn't want those awards, Jim Dwyer said. He was just a competitor. And he wasn't doing this to be all league or all city. He just enjoyed competition. Dwyer coached Bruin in basketball and baseball, two or three sports he would letter in as a wild. In junior high, we would get such big leads, Dwyer said, if I left him in the game. And it would get out of hand. Dwyer watched Brewer grow into a leader without an ego. You just know when you've got a special person on your hands, and he was one of those. I'm not talking about athletically, Dwyer said. Wayne Johnson coached Brewer in football. He said Brewer never got into trouble. He did what he was supposed to do, Johnson said. He led by example. Johnson recalled Brewer's laugh. You always knew it was him. It was clear that Brewer went on to leave an impression on Sheriff Robert Leahy, too. Bill was an outstanding man, he said. Twenty years, he was a good father, a good husband, a good friend, a good employee. He's what this country needs more of. There's no surprise to his high school coaches. Dwyer's son is also a deputy and served alongside Brewer. My son thinks the world of him. And we'll be guarding his casket until midnight, he said. After joining the sheriff's office, Brewer worked with the Reds Rookies Success Program, teaching children about Claremont County SWAT program. Johnson said that Brewer didn't call attention to himself during these kinds of outreach programs. People knew him, but he wasn't real outgoing, Johnson said. You have guys that are pretty bolsters. He wasn't that way. He would sneak in, do what he's going to do with a bunch of kids, and leave. He didn't want anybody to pay attention to him. The fact that everyone rallied around him just tells you everybody knew what kind of person he was. Dwyer said he knew exactly what kind of person Brewer was. He was an excellent young man. Today's show is dedicated to Detective William Lee Brewer. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders. During this week of law enforcement, the National Law Enforcement Week, we dedicate this show to them. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women that serve as first responders, as firefighters or emergency services. And to the brave men and women out there that serve in our military. From the birth of this illustrious nation through today, and into its mighty future. God bless each and every one. We dedicate to them this call, this song by Dave Ray, Last Call.
And we're back. You're here. Listen to Sudden Sense live here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeart, whatever. And just go to the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most the radio check Annie with the guest host of the handsome, debonair, and oh-so-politically savvy. Savvy, cool Mike as guest co-host. Mike, we've got a great guest on the show with us, returning to Substance It was almost a year ago that he was on the show. It's auspicious that he is here here with us today because this weekend is the first anniversary of the campaign that is turning America on its head. Let's welcome aboard the one, the only, the handsome Brandon Straker. Good afternoon, Brandon. How are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. Uh, it's Brandon Strzok. <laughs> good talking with you. Oh, it's, hey, it's Brandon, a pleasure welcome. having you back on. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, I can't believe I can't believe it's been one whole year. You started this movement a year ago, the Walk Away campaign, and it's really it, – it's got people coming out of the woodwork that are turning around saying, enough is enough. We're all Americans, and it's time we just get along. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. Um, uh, I think that people are very tired of the division and uh, and all of the hatred and uh, the the vitriolic rhetoric that's been you know perpetuated from the left for so long now. And I think that people really want to feel a sense of unity again. I think they want to feel uh, a sense of um, peace and patriotism in this country. Yeah, well, you know, we're finding people such as uh, Mayor Pete's sister uh, t- turning around and joining the uh, the Walk Away movement. Um, you've got uh, the actor Isaiah Washington uh, from uh, Grey's Anatomy that has joined in. And, you know, your people that are living and working in highly liberal areas are saying the anger is not justified. You know, there are ways to have a conversation. You don't have to shout at each other. Absolutely, that's correct. Um, we should be able to engage in, in polite political discourse in this country, and that's something that's sorely lacking, unfortunately. Well, when you started this, did you think one year later you would have something that this walk away campaign would grow out of? Because I know this weekend you're going to have a rally, I believe tomorrow, in front of the White House, and then you're also going to be uh, a Documental that you call it. Uh, it's called the Great Awakening, breaking the chains of the Democratic Party. Uh, what are you What are you anticipating for this weekend? Right. So uh, this weekend we're celebrating our one year anniversary in Washington D.C. and we're having a three day weekend uh, celebration, which we're so excited about. Uh, tonight, as you said, we're doing a special screening of a short film that we put out. Um, it, it's titled The Great Awakening, Breaking the Chains of the Democratic Party, which people can watch on uh, for free on YouTube if they go and type in that title. Um, and we're doing a screening of that here at Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. Uh, and so, yes, we call it a documonial. Uh, we, we coined that term, which uh, basically means it's a testimonial documentary. And uh, it's, it's made using the walkaway testimonials of 20 black Americans who have walked away from the Democratic Party, and they're telling their stories and the reasons why they are walking away. 
Um, and so we're doing a screening of that tonight, followed by kind of a celebrity game show uh, that we're doing with uh, many of our cele- uh, walkaway celebrities who have flown in from around the country to be a part of this event. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have our uh, one-year anniversary gala celebration also here at Trump International, which is going to be a Roaring Twenties party. Uh, it's going to be over the top and overly just joyous and 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 just so much fun here at Trump International. And then on Sunday, we're going to have a rally in front of the White House. And um, so, yeah, it's going to be just like an action-packed, very, very fun, over-the-top weekend. And I think it's a great way to you know celebrate patriotism, bring people together, unify people, and have a great time celebrating our anniversary. Man, it sounds like a real fun weekend. I wish I could be there. Were you surprised at how many people are posting videos and giving you testimonials? Did you really expect this many people to respond? Well, you know, I I guess I'm not that surprised because I knew that there were lots of people feeling the same way I was feeling when I created this campaign. I mean, it was the kind of thing where I knew people were basically waiting – for someone to come forward and stand up and say enough is enough and to kind of get the ball rolling. And that's what I did with my original six-minute video, kind of denouncing the Democratic Party and, and proclaiming everything that I think is wrong with liberalism and the Democratic Party. And, uh, and I knew that once I put that out, I, think, I thought a lot of people are going – this is going to resonate with a lot of people, and th- there will be – Uh, I think it'll set a lot of people free. And that's what I think happened is that so many people were waiting for this message and wanted to come forward and say, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. And so in a way, it doesn't surprise me that so many people have come forward because they, they don't recognize the democratic party anymore. They don't feel like the ideology of liberalism is something that's peaceful and uh, something that's beneficial to uh, you know our society at large, and and they're they're sick of it, and they want to walk away from it. Well, you know uh, what I find amazing is that, that the media, mainstream media, is not paying attention. They they don't want you guys in the news. Now, I, I'm just going to wonder uh, come Sunday uh, how much they're going to have their cameras on you if they have them there at all. Do you expect any right. media there? I don't know. Um, you know, I didn't really do this for the media. Um, we did it for the walkaway family, for the patriots in the campaign. Uh, normally when we do events, we do make it a point to reach out to a lot of media and make sure that, you know, we have at least some coverage of what we're doing. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that perhaps we'll have some coverage from some people, but we really did this as sort of an in-family kind of event, and um, we didn't make a huge effort to invite media. <coughs> well, are you, are you worried about any backlash? Because here you got a lot of people that were comfortable with their friends and family, but once they joined the walkaway movement and they say, hey, listen, maybe I'm more conservative than you think, uh, losing friends and family. Are people you know, shying away from the media because of that? No, I'm not concerned about that. Um, I think that there are certain events where that would be a concern, but I think, um, you know, we will have security in place, of course, when we go to the White House, and um, so so that will all be taken care of. But we, um, I, I don't anticipate that there's going to be any trouble whatsoever with any of our events this weekend, not at all. 
Well, you know, it's funny because my usual co-host, Curtis, who happens to be African-American, uh, was at Trump's latest rally down in Florida. And he was there with Kay Carl Smith and a couple of other people. And he said, as the people that were invited to be in the VIP stands standing behind Trump, there was about 150 and about more than one third happened to have been black Americans. The camera never showed that. He said it would not move above the two rows directly behind Trump. They didn't want to show that his support is diverse. It's black. It's white. It's oriental. It's straight. It's gay. You name it. America is behind them, but they don't want people to see that a group as diverse as Walk Away do support this president. Absolutely. No, that's completely true. And I think that it really shatters their narrative of, uh, you know, the racist, bigoted, homophobic right, and that there is no place at the table for anybody of who's black or brown or LGBT or, or uh, you know, a woman or whatever in the conservative movement or the Republican Party. Now, we are absolutely shattering that myth and mis- misperception, and I think that that's why they don't want to give us uh, any life or any attention to our campaign. But, you know, we're, we're, we're succeeding and moving forward in spite of that. Um, Mike, jump in when you feel comfortable. Don't worry about me <laughs> stomping you out. Oh, I'm not. Got a I'm, question or I'm, I'm, jump in. Well, I'm, in, I'm enjoying this first question. Uh, what type of blowback are you getting back? Uh, are you getting back from uh, from um, the Democratic establishment? And also, what's your opinion now of America's greatest mayor, Mr. De Blasio, announcing he is going to run for president? <laughs> <laughs> I may as well announce. <laughs> right. Well, um, in terms of blowback, you know, they don't even really uh, report on or or comment on our movement uh, honestly or fairly. So there hasn't been much honest blowback at all because basically when the liberal media talks about walkaway, they say it's a Russian propaganda campaign that was created by Vladimir Putin and uh, supported by Russian bots and um, that it's not real people, it's not real testimonials. And so that's the narrative they've chosen to go with, and therefore they don't really bother. You know, if they would, they, they've never reached out to me for a comment or, or, or an interview. And, you know, I'm talking about CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times. They've all done stories about Walk Away, even Stephen Colbert. Uh, but they don't uh, bother to talk to me or get a statement, you know, from anyone actually in the organization. So I can't even really tell you there's been blowback because – they try to pretend like it's something that it's not. Um, and in terms of uh, the mayor of New York, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I think that all one needs to do is take a look at New York City and, you know, the, the broken subway system and the, the eviscerated middle class. And just ask yourself if that's what you'd like all of America to look like, uh, like what New York City has been uh, turning into. I don't think so. It really saves my heart because, you know, when I became a cop in New York City, we worked with Giuliani to clean up the streets and everything else, you know, fell into place because once you have a place to be proud of, you're going to work to keep it that way. And to see it just completely reversed, it, it breaks my heart. But de Blasio, oh, my goodness, I'm glad my my buddy, the president of the PBA, Patty Lynch, is out there protesting in front of him. Oh, man. Patty has become his thorn in his side. But de Blasio, you mean, ban hot dogs. 
on city property because it's going to harm the environment and cause more global warming is one of the dumbest oh. things I've ever heard. <laughs> Don't get I can assure you, if he, if he were to make it to a debate with Trump, Trump would walk out with a hot dog. I can assure you. <laughs> yes, I, I think you're right. Peter, I would uh, love to see that. A big gulp soda. Uh, Peter, what do you? Uh, are there a couple of highlights tomorrow that you're really excited about? I know the whole thing is kind of when you're putting something together, you're just putting it together, and it's all kind of melting in your brain because there's so much going on. But are, are there a couple of highlights that you're you're extremely excited about featuring tomorrow? Well, again, tomorrow's going to be kind of for friends and family. So what I'm really excited about is the retrospective video that we're going to be playing, showing highlights of our accomplishments over the past year. Um, and just so many of the amazing things that we've done from our March on Washington to the thousands of video and written testimonials that we now have to our town halls that we're taking across the country to talk to the black community, the LGBT community, the Hispanic community, um, so many amazing things that we've accomplished in the last year, and I'm very excited about showing the very heartfelt video uh, that is a retrospective of our accomplishments. Um, and other than that, I'm very I'm just excited to get together with friends and family that we've made over the last year to dance, to play, to have a great time, to wear our 1920s costumes, and just have absolute unbridled fun together. I think it's going to be amazing. You know, one of the things you point out in your movement, and it's all over your webpage, which is walkawaycampaign.com. And there's a link up on the show description, so people just click on Walk Away, and I'll take it directly to your website so they can see what it's all about. What you point out is that the Democratic Party is a party of identity politics. They pit people against the other. First, they isolate them into little groups, and they pit them against each other with this victimhood. And one of the things that you, you're doing with your movement, your movement, the walkaway movement, is showing, wait a minute, in reality, they're much more alike and in common and not victims than they want you to think. Is that right? Or am I looking at this wrong? No, that's absolutely true. I mean, part of, a big part of what we're – our messaging, what we're telling people is to break free from the victim mentality, break free from the feeling of oppression, the oppression narrative that the left puts out constantly, especially if you're a minority in America, um, and embrace your individual identity and the fact that you're an American and that we live in the greatest country in the world where you can come from nothing, you can start from zero, but if you work hard and you have great and unique ideas and a strong work ethic and you want to participate in the American experience, the sky is the limit, I think, for anybody. Um, and so we just want to sort of empower people, I think, to break free from those oppressive narratives that tell them that the system is stacked against them, uh, that, they, you know, that there is systemic oppression that will hold them back. Um, that's not true. I mean, the only oppression that really exists is that that we impose upon ourselves if we see ourselves as victims. You know, it's funny because we've got this mentality out there um, that, oh, we've got to walk softly around everyone. Everyone has thin skins. We have to work to not uh, – I'm trying to think of the correct word uh, – not to – mentally harm someone, whether it's by what we're wearing or a phrase we use that they take as offensive. And we forget what America truly is about. It's about these the, the people that came here and founded it 
because they wanted independence. They wanted to be able to speak their mind no matter what, whether you agree with me or not. Uh, We've got it so far that there's a school in Ohio that dropped the valedictorian as valedictorian honors out of the graduation ceremony because they were concerned for the overall mental health of students. So what is the point of striving all your academic career? You reach the highest pinnacle. You're now valedictorian, and no one will give you that recognition. I, has, have we gone too far? Are we too worried about sensitivity that we should just let it go? Uh, we've definitely gone too far. We've gone way too far. Uh, and, well, and it's not all of us, obviously. I mean, it's it's the, the liberal left. It is the progressive uh, leftists who have gone so far, uh, so far fringe and extreme into the left. And they have, I think it's the fact that, you know, we live in a country of people that are brought up to be polite and are brought up to to try to be considerate of other people's feelings and considerate of, you know, trying to make people feel included. And, and the liberal left, I think, has taken advantage of that. And they pushed it farther and farther and further and said, you know, um, you know, we, we, we must never make anyone feel like, you know, they're better than somebody else or that they're, you know, that it's somehow er- uh, wrong to acknowledge that some people are smarter than other people. Some people are more talented than other people. Not everything. We're not all born with the, uh, the equality of talents and, and equality of, of skills. You know, some people are more skilled than other people, and that's okay. I mean, it's always going to be that way, but to acknowledge that somehow has become a crime, you know, for people on the left. And yes, and all that does is it gives power to those in our society who are less able to bring something to the table, and it diminishes the strongest amongst us, when in fact we should all be striving to be more like the strongest amongst us, knowing that we may never be the strongest, but we can always be better. We can always do better. We can always uh, learn more. We can always run faster, jump higher. I mean, we can always try to be more than what we are today, but liberalism wants to reward equally everybody by the lowest common denominator, and it's incredibly destructive, and it, I think, really diminishes the strongest amongst us. You are making Amen. my heart soar with joy. <laughs> I really mean it. Absolutely soar well, well, with joy. What you do know, you it, make it, of uh, – go ahead, Annie. Go ahead. No, no. Go, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Uh, what do you make of – you know, it, it seems like, Brandon, since election night in 2016, uh, at least two or three times a week, there's a new smoking gun, and I mean they've used so many of them that now they're starting to repeat everything. Um, they're back on the income tax now, and reparations has now emerged, obviously because a lot of African Americans and Hispanics are just leaving the Democratic Party. But I, I mean it just on and on and on and on. And today I think it was in high school he might have showered with somebody. I mean just just these makeup nonsense things. Um, is it basically because the audience they're, I mean, kind of trying to attract our uh, kind of the less educated group or the easier indoctrinated, or like I, I, I think you get where I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say, but I'm just not, I'm not saying it correctly. Um, you're asking if the liberal left is trying to pander to uh, 
to the prejudices of their audience? Is that essentially what you're asking? Yeah, basically, yes. Because it seems like every single week since he got elected, there's a new smoking gun. But each smoking gun triangulates with one of these anti-Trump groups, anti-Peter groups, anti-Annie groups. Uh, Those groups have been hating me longer than you two have been alive, so they don't mean nothing to me. (laughs) Um. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that um, what I think that, that generally tends to happen is that the liberal media and those that control the narrative of not only the left, but the, I think the overwhelming narrative of what we uh, as Americans hear in general in this country um, design every news story that they put out or every, everything that they talk about is, comes through the filter of – something that will push a button in their target audience to trigger a feeling of, uh, uh, of uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, discrimination, uh, discrimination, or uh, somehow that somebody is being uh, wronged in some way. I mean, everything comes to the filter of racism, bigotry, homophobia, something. So no matter what the president does or says, it's going to be – by the time the, the liberal media reports on it and it gets to our ears, all we're going to hear about is how it somehow is harmful to black people, Hispanic people, LGBT people, women, uh, that white supremacy is on the rise in this country, that you know, Nazism is on the rise in this country. And uh, this is the only way in which we hear these stories now. Yeah. Oh, white men. Yeah, it, it, white men it, are, the, uh, are just the – they are just the brunt of everything now. White They're men the worst and red hats. Mm-hmm. Aren't they? Uh, isn't it funny? You don't want to discriminate against anyone, but white men are are, are in the exclusive club of bashing. It's true. I think that um, I think that white, straight white men are the most I think attacked and and uh, maligned people in the country right now, and it's really unfortunate because the the majority of straight white men. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt my own story right now and just let you know I'm in my hotel room right now in Trump International Hotel in D.C., and I'm looking out the windows I'm talking to, and there's a group of women walking by on the street outside, and they're all wearing walkaway shirts. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Woo! I love it. I, I, I should have snapped a picture. You got to get a picture of that. Yeah, I know. I wish I had snapped one while I was, I was talking about it. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that you know the straight white men are the most maligned group in America right now, and it's, it, it's become completely socially acceptable to attack them and blame them for everything and smear them in the media and everything else. And I think it's really unfortunate um, because I found that um, all people in the conservative movement have been very kind to me and big-hearted and open and um, and welcoming and supportive of everything that I'm doing. And I certainly haven't found straight white men to be of any detriment to me whatsoever uh, since I started this movement. You know, uh, I always found it really odd because they keep on using this phrase white privilege. And you know, I, I've got that thrown in my face. And I'm, I'm probably double your age for a long time. And I actually asked a friend who happened to have been a black American, and she went to a privileged school. Her parents paid for her tuition. She was wearing a $700 silver Foss jacket, and I was wearing a $20 Gap blue jean jacket about <laughs> how privileged I was because I was born white. And it's like I never understood that. First off, I didn't ask which race to be born into. And secondly, both my parents worked full-time. We were latchkey kids. 
I paid my own college tuition by working three jobs. So where is the white privilege if I had to work for everything I achieved in my life? It means that I had the wherewithal to fight and claw and, and make it. Whereas someone else wants to throw out the word and automatically get ahead of me because they claim I have white privilege. I never understood that. Um, well, you know, my opinion is that there are privilege, <coughs> privileges and disadvantages to being any race and or any type of person. I mean, there are privileges uh, to being gay. There are privileges to being black. There are privileges to being white. There are privileges to being straight. And there are certainly disadvantages to being all of those things as well. Um, my question always is, why and how did we decide that the privileges that white people experience are the only important privileges to ever talk about and that why we have to address these privileges with so much hostility and contempt and uh, resentment and, and just absolute bile and anger, I think. Um, and, and what ends up getting happening is that somehow in people's minds, the, the concept of privilege gets contorted into them believing that, you know, we're talking about a, um, a financial privilege or, you know, an open door kind of privilege. And that's really not at all, you know, that's a different type of privilege. Uh, you know, what I often say is that <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, this is just my opinion, but I think that there are two types of privilege that exist in this country in our society that are the most prevalent forms of privilege and that's wealth privilege and um and and attractiveness um i think that you are if you are an attractive person or if you are a wealthy person you will have advantages in this life and doors open for you in this life that other people will not and and if you combine those two things then i think the sky is really the limit for anybody and so basically what i'm saying is if you are a black person who is born into this world, into a family that is wealthy, and you are an attractive person, you will experience life in a way that a poor, unattractive white person never will. You will have doors open. You will have advantages. You will have all different kinds of things. But it doesn't matter whether you're white or black or brown or whatever. Yeah, if you have no financial privilege, if you have uh, you know, nothing you know, on a personal level that will make people gravitate toward you in a certain way, you're not going to be privileged just because you happen to have white skin. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. And uh, you know, there are people – listen, Oprah Winfrey is not living a sad life because she's black, okay? and neither are a lot of other people who have made it, by the way, from nothing into incredibly – fantastic fabulous incredible successful careers um and so yeah yeah the concept uh, that white people just by virtue of the fact that they have white skin are are living in some sort of utopia that black people can't somehow get access to is absurd man <laughs> uh where were you 30 years ago when we really needed you uh <laughs> you're probably still in your mom's <laughs> well your mom's than never. but uh i'm here now <laughs> Danny, I got a I got a quick question. Well, uh, you just mentioned Brandon. You just mentioned you looked out the window and saw these ladies walking with their shirts. I mean, you had this idea obviously when no one was around. What's going through when you look out the window and there they are? I mean, that has to just be a an amazing feeling. I mean, it's getting some serious momentum here. <laughs> it, it is an amazing feeling, uh, but I think. I think part of the reason why this, the, the campaign has been 
successful and and I think is going to continue to grow and become more successful is because I'm always looking to the future. I'm always looking for the for the next thing for the I look out the window right now and I see those women walking by wearing those shirts. And yes, of course, I feel a sense of pride. I certainly do. But you know what my mind is telling me that, you know, it's four or five women and I wish it was 10 or 15. So I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to double that group of women wearing those shirts? How are we going to triple it? How by 2020 are we going to have everybody on the sidewalk wearing a walk away shirt? So I don't spend a lot of time patting myself on the back or going, oh, wow, look what I've done. I spend most of my time going, how can we make it bigger? How can we make it more? And I'm just going to keep working and working and working until walk away is the biggest thing going in the country. I am going to go next year. I am going next year. (laughs) Fantastic. But your attitude is exactly why you walked away, because you want to look to the future. You want to look for solutions. Uh, The Democratic Party at this point in time wants everyone to become a victim. Everything is a problem. The future looks grim. And here you're offering hope. You're offering a chance for people to, to see a way out of the the mire that they're stuck in. And you coming along at the same time as Trump becoming president is fortuitous because here he's doing the very same thing. You know, he's got uh, the uh, increased job growth, Uh, people coming off of welfare and food stamps. You're seeing the economy growing. You're seeing hope out there and you're holding up the torch and you're saying, Hey, listen, follow me. You don't have to stay in the doom and the gloom. Come and walk away. Right, right, exactly right. Um, they they see the future as grim and they see the past as grim. These are the same people who tell you America was never great. Um, you know, and and they make it sound as if America never can be great or well, you know, we have so long to go before it's great. Listen, we've always had problems. And we'll continue, we always will have problems. I mean, that's life. Life is filled with problems. And, but to say that a country that once had slavery, the only country that's ever gone to war to end slavery, is not a great thing. I mean, we overcame slavery. We, we overcame uh, not giving women the right to vote. We overcame not giving gay people the right to get married. We overcame racial segregation. I mean, we, this is a, we, this is what America does. We overcome. And, and part of the reason why we overcome all of these things is because we have free speech, because we have the ability to openly talk and debate and through, you know, years of, of talking and debating and, and trying new things and coming up with solutions to problems. This is how we've overcome these terrible things and, and made America a you know, better place today than it was five years ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And <clears throat> these are the same people who now feel like free speech hurts people's feelings. And so we shouldn't have free speech. We shouldn't discuss ideas that make people feel bad or that they have to hear words or thoughts that might hurt their feelings or make them feel bad. Well, this is how we've overcome all of these things that we've overcome in the past, you start taking away people's right to express their opinion and, and their ideas, and we're never going to be able to overcome the problem. And we, prob- we're always going to have problems, but how do we overcome them? Well, we have to be able to talk to each other. We have to be able to debate, uh, and we have to be able to try new things. 
And it's interesting for people who call themselves quote unquote progressive, they're not really interested at this point in uh, pursuing progress or trying new things. Uh, they want to stifle progress and stifle the, uh, anybody's ability to discuss and debate. And um, it's completely counterintuitive and it's completely un American. Well, I know we only have you for a few more minutes, but I wanted to ask you if the Democratic Party ever woke up and smelled the coffee and went more towards the center. Would you think that you would ever go back? Well, I mean, if there, if there's anything I've learned in the last couple of years, it's that one can never say never. I mean, I never, ever would have thought that I would become a Republican. And I, I certainly – there was a time I never would have thought I would be a Trump supporter. Um, and and I certainly never thought that I would be leading a, a movement, uh, a national movement – trying to lead people away from the left and over toward the center or the right. Um, so I can't – it would be wrong for me to sit here and tell you absolutely not, never, it can't happen. Uh, let's see how the future progresses. I mean my goal with walkaway, although I want people to walk away from the Democratic Party and I want people to walk away from the liberal media and the, the divisive liberal left um, – I don't want to destroy a two-party system in this country. I think we need a two-party system at a minimum. We may, we may need more parties than that, but we have to have uh, at least two groups in this country that are reasonable, that are rational, that want to adhere to our constitution and the principles of American culture that make our culture great and successful and that are, are open and willing to – peacefully disagreeing with each other and having uh, you know debate and, uh, and open dialogue to try to as we you know we're talking about earlier come up with the best ideas for this country and lead the country in a positive direction um, and if you know it, it's possible if we can get as many people to walk away it's possible that the Democratic Party is going to have to look at themselves and they're going to have to say look it's time for reformation uh, we can't continue to, down this path we can't continue just appealing to people's fear and insecurities and prejudices through identity politics and political correctness and through a push of getting more voters uh, with open borders and trying to get underage voters the right to vote. And I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. And, and I think if they're able to take a look at themselves and say it's time for reformation, it's not, we have to change ourselves. And if they can change themselves into a party that once again – uh, is pro-American and, and pro-civility and pro-unity, um, I would absolutely listen to what they have to say, and I would consider voting for anybody who I think has good ideas. Well, last question before we let you go, because you got yourself a really, really busy weekend. Um, yes. Say when you were at your height of liberalism, when you were the most liberal in your life, did you ever dream or imagine that Republicans, much less conservatives, would embrace you as openly as they have? No, absolutely not. I mean, I definitely uh, – no, I never would have believed that what has happened could have been possible to happen. And it's hard to say if this had happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's hard to say if it could have succeeded the way that it has. I, I mean, I think – I believe that it's – Probably it's probable that this was right place, right time. And as you said earlier, I think the combination of having President Trump um, in the office as the, at the same time as I'm leading this movement 
uh, is fortuitous. Um, I don't know if the world would have been ready five, ten plus years ago for a gay man to lead a conservative movement. Although, you know, my sexuality has nothing to do with it. I'm not asking people to become gay. I'm just asking them to take a look at the liberal divisive left and walk away from it. And I think that that is the message that's resonating with people. It's hard to say if that would have succeeded years ago in the past, but here we are today, and I think the world has changed. I think the world has moved forward. I think the Republican Party and the conservative movement is one that's moving toward a more inclusive uh, less judgmental, less uh, involved in people's personal lives, but more caring about jobs and economy and our constitution and our national sovereignty and secure borders and you know just making America great for all people. And I think that's all people really care about le- right now and, and m- less of these personal social issues. And so I think in that environment, uh, someone like me can come forward and really thrive with a movement like this at, at this time. You know, I think it is the right place at the right time and it's the right message that people really want. Wow. Well, Thank you. Brandon, God bless you wow. for the for the hard work you're doing and for having the courage to take this on. Uh, I doubt very few people will be doing what you are doing today. And it takes a lot of courage. Well thank you so much. I really appreciate that and thank you for having me on. I uh, when you host I, uh, that glass of champagne, you on Facebook think about Oh sorry Andy. Okay, I'll talk it out. <laughs> and I, I right, requested you on Facebook, Strat. just an FYI. Thank you. I saw wow. Okay. Thank you all that so much. Have a great really day. really cool. Yeah. Thank you all. Wow. You too. Oh, you're, right. Thank you for stepping to the plate. Right. Wow. What a great – I got to follow <laughs> that tomorrow. That is just so <laughs> kick-ass. And, yeah, and it's walkawaycampaign.com. There's a link up on the show page. So when you look at the description, you see Brandis Strucker, click on Walk Away, and you can go to his website. You know, it, what people do um, privately in the you know, privacy of their home, I don't care. You know, if it's, if, it's, if it's like someone like him, I don't care, you know. But if, if you talk about the issues that matter to all Americans – like jobs, like border security, like national security, you know, like the budget. Those things are what matter to Americans. Things that end up – don't tell me what type of toilet to buy or what type of light bulbs to buy. You're, that's being too intrusive. That's not what government is there for. You know, what you do behind your closed doors, I'm not going to ask. Not my business. And the fact that yeah. he had the courage to come out and make this movement what it is today, Wow. Have you noticed, Annie, that the left has a nickname for every single gender, every single nationality, every single type of whatever that doesn't agree with them? An African-American, a black person who is not a flaming liberal, they're an Oreo or an Uncle Tom. They have nicknames for everybody. You can be, you can be a Down syndrome, half Japanese, half African-American, uh, partially white kid. If you don't agree with their leftist, le- they have a nickname or a slander for you. They 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 have a stereotype name for you. I mean, they have it for everybody. Yeah, it's a, it's identity politics, and therefore, once they label you whatever they label you, whether or not it's an Uncle Tom or whatever they want to use, whatever the name of the month is, they label you that way to make you feel like you're a victim. And if you feel like you're a victim, then you've got to be on their side. 
And yeah, we've exactly got to right. we've got to stop that. We've well, got to homophobe. stop that. You know. Well, th- th- this is their plan altogether. Their plan isn't to stop it. It's just all about their mission. I've said this before. It, you know, Annie, these people never are proud of their kids for accomplishing anything in finance or whatever. It's once they've turned far more liberal than them, the parents become so full of pride. They're now an official communist or even further left of the communists. I mean, this is them. That's like, <laughs> good God. <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so proud Absolutely. that Peter was well, well, awesome. We... He was just a rock star. Uh, Brandon. Rock star interview. Brandon. Not... Brandon, sorry. Brandon, not not Peter. Uh, we're waiting for well, our next I have a friend, Peter, who has the same last in. name. So I have a friend, Peter, who has the exact same last name. <laughs> That's where I screwed that. What a great guest. And you know what? We need people to step to the plate. We need people who will step up and just go after the political parties. Even this morning, prior to uh, coming on air, Annie, I was at a uh, Trump rally. They call it Trumperware. And I made a comment. An awful lot of people within our county Republican Party are not Trump supporters. And, you know, of course, so there's the elephant in the room. Oh, you know what? I, I mean, you are not a conservative. Trump is a conservative. Uh, so, you know, we, we have to, and Trump's not a politician either. So anyway, no, now, we're oh, waiting man. for our, our other guest, John Hawkins of right wing news and brass pills, uh, to call in. So as soon as he does, we'll bring him on. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, talk with you, Mike, uh, about Rashida Tlaib. She oh, recently God. made a statement. The, the the second I heard it, oh my goodness, I, you know Yanni, <laughs> Yanni, <laughs> God bless him. I'm lucky I married this guy. No, he's lucky he married me. I think <laughs> anyway. Uh, for those who aren't aware of that, the statement she made was uh, in an interview. She said, "There's always kind of calming feeling I tell folks when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact." that it were my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives. Their livelihood, their human dignity, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passports. Um, She went on to say, and it's just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post the Holocaust, post the tragedy and the horrific persecution of Jews across the world at the time. I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that right in many ways, but they did it in a way that took their human dignity away and it was forced on them. Now, that is wrong on so many levels. And I was, I, I had to listen to it over and over again just to make sure I, I heard her correctly. And, you know, she's, she's thinking that Israel was created because of the Holocaust. No, Israel existed long before the Holocaust, centuries before the Holocaust. Israel was was conquered and broken up and shoveled off into various different countries like Jordan and Syria. But the Jews began to move back to the land that was originally Israel back in the 1800s when the main dysphoria was going on, when we were being chased out of other countries such as 
Russia and other countries that refused to have Jews or were treating them really badly as fourth or fifth class citizens. And they said, enough is enough. Let's go back to our home. Let's go back to Israel. And at the time, the land known as Palestine, which is an area, it's like saying North America, South America, it was an area that encompassed many different countries, but was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. It was part of Turkey. It was their possession at the time. So what the Jews did starting in the 1800s was they would go back little bit by little bit, and they would buy the land from the people that owned it, that were the Turks. At the time, the other Arabs that were living in the land, that were either Syrian, Jordanian, there was no such thing as a Palestinian. They rented the land from the Turks. They didn't own it. They rented it. So here, here is the lie. You, you change what history is. You give the talking points that is rammed into your head by anti-Semites, and you repeat it and try to make it the truth. But in truth, when World War II and Turkey lost, they lost those lands. Those lands then became the possession of the British Empire. And the British Empire supported the recreation of Israel, setting its boundaries and saying, this is the land because you as Jews should have a safe haven. Yes, there's a major dysphoria going on. You're being murdered. You're being kicked out of your, your home countries. Come back to Israel. We'll make sure this land is safe for you. It never was a Palestine. And this is what she's, she's doing. And, and you see the lies that she's created and the way people are just believing her? Well, first and foremost, I, I, I brought this question up to Brandon. Um, not Peter, Brandon. Um, first and foremost, she herself is a hand-picked little puppet. I don't know if you remember Tom Barrow. We had him on when I was your co-host on a regular basis. He was running for mayor of Detroit, and they fixed the election. He was talking about the downfall of the Detroit public school system. She was part of that whole oligarchy. She ran uh, like eight years ago against a Polish, a white Polish guy who had the audacity of challenging her in her own primary. She was slamming him uh, like racially as a pole. How dare this white man, I mean, she is just a bigot, a racist, and the lowest form of absolute scum you can imagine. And her district clearly represents, if you drive through the district, you see exactly what they get. Um, I recently was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Annie. I went to the Final Four basketball tournament, and my friend and I went through uh, the other lady. I can't, I'm getting them all mixed up. Excuse me if, if I'm not... Uh, if I, if I can't remember them all by name, but the other loudmouth, it was nothing but a gal. Uh, Ilian Omar is who you think yes. he is. It the was, other one you could from... see, you could see 20 years ago that this was a thriving middle class area. I, I, I mean, it was a pure ghetto. And I mean, this is this is. Uh, this is not just who votes for these people, but they reflect their districts in general. Uh, first of all, Tlaib doesn't know history, as you just pointed out. She doesn't know anything about history. And like it or not like it in the real world, since uh, we've been somewhat, uh, um, however you want to say it, in a war, when you get your ass kicked, you lose your land. 
that simple. So uh, it recalls to me that some very <laughs> stupid countries decided to take on Israel, and it took a week for them to get thoroughly trashed. Like it or not like it, they got their butts kicked. But that's how I love to watch all these people say, this is our land, you know, Texas is our country or whatever. No, it's not. <laughs> so. Yep. And I mean, this is just what, this Warp reflects. Is... Go ahead. <laughs> well, Warp is 100% correct, is that, you know, the area that they call Palestine was mainly comprised of Jordan. They were Jordanian, and he is 100% correct. And Palestine was created simply to counter the creation of Israel, to combat and, and prevent the creation of Israel. And it looks like we do have our next guest in on the line. So let's bring the next victim up into the batter's box and welcome aboard the creator of Right Wing News and also Brass Hills. Good afternoon, John. Welcome back. It has been quite a while since I've last had you on the show. My fault, my bad. You can beat me up, but welcome aboard. Well, it is great to be back on with you, and I have to apologize. There was some confusion. They told me you were calling them like, no, no, you need to call them. I'm like, man, I'm late. She's going to hate me. Look, I'm ruining this. It's all my fault. It's not her fault. I am so sorry. <laughs> no worry. No worry, because I had some major computer problems. My computer crashed after the last show, and I only got it back late last night, and it was up until 3 in the morning trying to get everything hooked back up. It didn't work. So I'm on my backup machine, which prevents me from doing certain things, which is why I asked Jenny to have you call me. <laughs> but I've got a guest co-host with me, my former co-host. who have been with me for a few years, Cool Mike. Um, so no worries. You know how you do radio. You know how it is. Defecation occurs. Usually it comes in big piles. I know so much. You know, I do a podcast now, Planet Hawkins. And I have to tell you, the setup for this stuff is so much more complicated than people think. I do this thing through a mixer. I am not exaggerating when I tell you, working with professionals who do this, it took me six weeks to get ready, just to get the thing ready to go through and do a podcast. So it can get surprisingly complicated. People, I mean, it blew me away. I can't believe it's that complicated. So I, you know, it's kind of like blogging before Blogger came along. Absolutely, absolutely. I do my my podcast using a mixer and a, a diaphragm mic. I'm using studio equipment normally. Today I'm stuck with the USB headset because I could not get my mixer up and running. And the computer guy is sitting there having no idea what to do. And I said, that I, I'm trying to get him out of the house. I'm going to just go so I can play with it. So I have to wait until I come back from the GOP convention this weekend to try to spend more time to figure out what he did wrong to my computer and get the mixer reattached. So I understand it 100%. But, you know, you're a busy man. You started Right Wing News. What was that, back in 2004 or something like that? 2001, I started Right Wing News. Wow, so that's that, uh Yeah. It's had a long, long run. I've been writing yeah, columns for people since 2005. Uh, I just left PJ Media after they got bought out by Salem. I don't get along with the guys at Salem, so I'm like, well, if they're buying out PJ Media, I don't want to work for them. I'm going to go somewhere else. So I've been in negotiations with different people about where I'm going to go next. So I should be having co- – and I'm going on vacation next week, so which I probably shouldn't say in the air. Don't burglarize my house. But so I, I'm going to do all that, and you know I'll be back to writing columns again the next, hopefully within the next week and a half or so. And yeah, Right Wing News has been around a long time. I do the podcast. I do BrassPills.com, which I started uh, last year. So it's been a, I stay pretty busy. 
Absolutely. You know, it, it's funny because you're following on the heels. I had recently Bill Whittle on, and prior to Bill Whittle, I had Alfonso Rachel on. So now you're the third person from PJ Media in, in the last three weeks. <laughs> so you're in pretty good company here. Yeah, and you know, they're great. They've also been around for a long, long time themselves. Absolutely. We're all getting old. But listen, um, I love your website, uh, Brass Pills. I get the stuff in my inbox every single day, and you come up with some of the most outrageous things. And this was born out of the fact that you got annoyed about what was going on with Brett Kavanaugh in that hearing and the rise of the Me Too movement uh, and the false claims and that are going on on, on the misogyny that men are accused of. Uh, it's, it's a great site. And you make the point is like men have to grow a pair. They have to get a brass pair out there. Well, it's it's so funny that when I talk to – if you listen to the media, all you hear about is how bad masculinity is and how terrible it is. You have these traditional men's men's, and according to them, all men, all masculinity is toxic. But then when I talk to female friends of mine, all I hear is where are the real men at? Well, I can't find any masculine guys. You know, and you hear that constantly, and so I, I wanted to write something too. I, when I looked at what happened to Brett Kavanaugh, I thought it was just so over the top, so insane, so crazy. Here's a man who's gone through all these FBI checks. He's got a spotless record, and you've got these accusations. They haven't even gone through the police. None of them stood up to the barest scrutiny. I mean, there's there was nothing to any of them. I mean, I heard people say, well, you know, at least there was one credible claim. No, none of them are credible. I mean, you know, no, they couldn't even pin down the year in the main claim. They really couldn't. They well, it's sometime, you know, within a four-year span that this happened, and it's like, oh my gosh. So I I really think somebody needs to go out and advocate for these issues. And I, I like writing about men's issues, and I think it's. It reminds me of the old school blogging stuff, you know, like when blogging got started before it got so corporate. Because now I got to tell you, you want to start a political website and you want to take want it to take off, you probably need a you know something in the millions. I mean, it wasn't that way when I started, but it is now. Yeah, the little guys like us are getting drowned out because they realize there's money in it. You know, people want the stuff that mainstream media is not carrying, and I want to. I told Jenny that we're going to just pop on issues of the day and something that no one's talking about. Maybe you might only hear it about in the New York state area, but the Nexium cult, the, the, the complain about the me too movement. Uh, you know, no one's paying attention to these sexual assaults, but they completely ignore this Nexium uh, movement, which donated money to wait a minute, wait for it. Hillary rotten Clinton. Wow. Yeah, there. You know, these little cults and things, these little weird things. I, I have not. I'll be. I'll be frank. I don't know everything inside and out about this, but I, you know, these little weird cults and stuff. I, I never know how much stock to put in them because the stories that come out are not always true. Like there's a story out today. I saw Buzzfeed's pushing that Tony Robbins accused of sexual misconduct, and what it comes down to is. 20 years ago, he hit on some of his assistants. And so I, I never know with these things. <laughs> I mean, that's really the whole thing. You well, know, before he got married, when he was single, he hit on some of his assistants. <laughs> yeah, like sex in the workplace doesn't occur. 
But the uh, Nexium movement, from what I understood, is started off as one of these self-help things. And you had to swear to secrecy when you went to one of these things that's supposed to be self-help seminars and the booklets. You couldn't tell the public about it. But their idea was to get into the inside track into the political realm, hence his, their involvement with the Hillary Rodham Clinton campaign. But it ended up being a sex cult where they ended up having a sex slave and a sex master to the point where they were actually branding some of the women. Five women came forward that were branded by this guy. And he would put his initials on them to claim them as his own. And it went even so far as underage uh, children being uh, underage. Of course, your children, you're underage, um, redundant. Uh, but having children involved in these sex cult rings, uh, it's really nasty stuff to the point where the guy is on trial, I believe, the end of this month. Um, and it also involves the heiress to Seagram, Seagram's rum, Claire Bronf, Bronfman. Uh, so yeah, it's going to trial. So obviously New York thought there was enough to it to prosecute this guy, but you don't hear anything about it in the media. Nothing. It's it's suddenly well, I can just swept under I the rug. I can tell you, I can tell you that you know it's like if you ever find yourself about to write a manifesto, okay, you're doing something wrong. If you're ever in a self-help cult that wants you to brand yourself, you're doing something wrong. I there's a guy who's famous. Uh, in the red pill manosphere circles, and he's kind of a scumbag, but his name's Cobra Tates. He's famous kickboxer, great with women. He's got over 20 women with his name tattooed on their body. And I would think, you know, when you hear about that, if you're like maybe number one, you buy that. If you're number 15, you would think, well, I'm the 15th woman that's tattooed <laughs> this guy's name. That's probably not happening. And and the same thing with this. I you know the cults I find very interesting. I, I think a lot of it. You just have to be a certain type of person, and you just go along with this stuff and get in there. You look. I guess you. It's very interesting to me that something like this could even exist because I don't know the type of people. I, well, I hope I don't know the type of people who who would get sucked in by it. I mean, you read about how this stuff works and you get it to a degree, but it's amazing how far some of these people go with this stuff. And yeah, again, you know, I, I think that's something that. You know, you you just start. There's some warning signs. I think a lot of warning signs people have to ignore to get that far into it. <laughs> well, keeping on the topic of sex, Alyssa Milano, you heard. I know you heard about this that because <laughs> yes. of the law that was being passed in Alabama of you know saying abortion uh, after the fetal heartbeat, South Carolina has the same thing that we're trying to pass called personhood, and she decided she's going to withhold sex and. I nearly spit out my scotch and fell off my Archie bunker chair laughing. <laughs> my husband going, oh, well, there it goes for uh, procreation of the dumber <laughs> set of people. I mean, uh, I would love to see you write a piece on this one. I mean, this, this is so good for the rest of us because the less that they have sex, the less chance of them becoming pregnant to end up having an abortion. The less they have sex, the less they end up, you know, procreating another liberal nutcase. I mean, and it also says a lot to uh, a moral value, saying, "Hey, listen, I'm not going to tumble into bed with the first guy that winks at me." It's it's it's, it's a good message. <laughs> well, yeah, I I think the sex strike should go permanently. I think that would be good. Let's just keep that up long, long term. And see what would happen. You know, it is interesting. I, I mentioned that guy, and this kind of ties into it when you when, with what you're just saying. 
uh, that Tate guy, he, he lives in Romania. And one of the things he was talking about is that uh, – and, and again, the guy's kind of a sleazebag, but he's smart, and he was talking about the difference between Romanian women and women in the West. And one of the things he was saying over there is just it's such a different atmosphere because people are poor, and it's sort of like old times in America where you, if you're a woman, you kind of have to rely on the guy to provide for you. So he was saying, look, these girls are a lot – they're not going to sleep with you like uh, American women will or British women will because – Hey, they want they need they want a man who's going to be around to provide for them, and I think it's so funny that you're talking about Alyssa Milano. How we've just divorced that whole idea. Well, sex is something you do for fun, and it's something you do. You know, you're going to have a sex strike to push your political ideology. It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, how are you punishing? Yeah, there's like a woman governor in Alabama. I don't. <laughs> lots and lots of women who who support this. In fact, it's about the same as men. But you want to get the men in Alabama. I don't know. None of this stuff makes any sense. I don't think there's that many conservative men married to liberal women these days. I mean it happens, but a lot less than it used to because the ideologies have gotten so busted. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, And, and you, you talk about the toxic masculinity, but then you also have the male feminist. And if anything is a turn off to a sexual desire is running across a male feminist. It, well, yeah, because it's so fake. I mean, really, it is. It's fake. You know, it's like they're coming out and, oh, yeah, I'm really down with you. I agree with your feminist principles. But what they're really saying is, I agree with you. Sleep with me. It's their strategy. And it's a weak strategy because women don't like that. I've never met a woman who's like, Oh yeah, it really turns me on when a when a man is a feminist. Nobody believes that really. I mean, it's just something they do. It's like with all these nice guys who go out and they I'm a nice guy. You know, women don't like nice guys. Well, no, they don't like guys who like are doing some oh, I opened the door for you, I expect something in return. Oh, I bought you dinner, I expect something in return. That's weak. So it's this, these male feminists, yeah, they're horrible. Horrible, horrible, they're weak, they're horrible, they're beta, they're terrible. And yeah. Drive me up the wall. <laughs> well, I've got my co-host, uh, who happens to be a guest co-host today, because my normal co-host is out oh, on I the book signing tour. Oh, I thought you were going to say some male feminist stuff going Not quite the feminist. Um, just a quick comment in Alabama, if you think about it, this is really being pushed by non-feminist females. Uh, conservative women, are, including the governor, they're basically saying we're going to take this fight to the Supreme Court, and it's time for the law of the land to shit or get off the pot, if you really think about it. So it really is the feminist uh, movement of the Democratic Party, uh, dominated probably by lesbians, but either way, and the conservative women, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the women for Trump. This is exactly what they have. Uh, this is... And they're taking it to the Supreme Court. This whole law is to go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, and I I think honestly Roe v. Wade is bad law. I don't know if they are they're going to be willing to change it. There is the first time in a long time the possibility that we could see Roe v. Wade overturned. I don't know if they'll be that bold. I mean, I just don't know that Roberts is that bold of a guy. I'm not sure how bold Kavanaugh and Gorsuch will be. You know, you know where Clarence Thomas is going to come down and, and some of these other guys, Alito, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, I'm rooting for them to knock this thing down, and then once you knock it down, it goes back to the states, which is how it should be. 
I mean, if you want to live in an area without abortion and your state wants to do it, why shouldn't you be able to say, hey, there's no abortions here? If you want an abortion, go live in another state. Let, and that's, that's part of the problem with what's wrong with the whole country is liberals keep trying to make all of us live under the exact same set of rules. But you can't make Berkeley in California live under the same rules as Texas and North Carolina. You know, We're different places. You've got to give people some freedom. That's sort of the pressure valve on the whole country, and that sameness, that forcing everybody to do the same thing… It really is one of the things I think that's driving the pressure and driving the hatred out there and driving the differences because you know, it, it's like, hey, it, it really matters a lot who's, char- who's in president. I would like to not care very much who the president is because it wouldn't make much of a difference. You know, there's well, a lot to be said about that. Go ahead, Annie. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say one of the things is that one of the reasons why Roe v. Wade – did become laws because the argument they used is that oh you're gonna you're gonna uh, force these women to go into these back room abortion clinics and the hanger the hanger was the, the uh, tool that they would use they claim uh, but that's not so true today today we have such movement across the country it's so easy to hop a bus or jump into a car or have a friend grab and cross over a state line that would pre- perform that abortion. It's not the same as when it was when you didn't have as much mobility as you have today. It's a whole different atmosphere. Yeah, I agree with you. And and on top of it, look, people can live where they want to live and do what they want to do. I would like to see more variations between the states. I don't mind. Like when I, when I hear somebody say, well, Seattle has a $15 minimum wage, I don't go, well, nobody should be able to do that. I go, great, you guys do that. We're not going to do it here. But let's have a nice little natural experiment as to what happens. Same thing with gay marriage. Gay marriage I don't think should be the law of the land everywhere. Let, let the states break it out how they want to break it out. Let people have their choices and make their decisions. It would be so much healthier for the country. And, and especially think about this. We live in a society now where you can choose everything. You can go out and choose you know, a hundred different blockbuster movies to watch tonight. You can listen to thousands and thousands of unlimited numbers of songs. You can do just about anything. You can have – I don't know. You go to the store, and you want to get cooking oil, and there's 50 types of cooking oil in there to pick from. And then government's like, well, everything's got to be one size fits all. Well, no, that goes against everything we're doing as a society. Let people sort out and do their own thing. We would be so much better off if we could do that. Well, that's the way the country was designed. Each state was a small incubation. You know, you, you try it out there, and if it works there, maybe you can try it in another state. But if it doesn't work, as you said, every state has its own distinct personality, its own set of values. You know, what works in Kentucky is not going to work in Maine. You know, that's the way the country was designed. It was supposed to be the state rule, not an overall federalist. One of the things that, that uh, George Mason fought against. You're right on. See, now I brought up right uh, the father. You're right on. That's yeah, why they wrote the in order to... Oh, go ahead. We got everybody talking. <laughs> but go ahead. John, I think you were going to say something. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. We got just a touch of delay, and I'm sorry I keep stepping over you. I was going to say, you know, the funny thing about the uh, anti-federalists is that they were right about everything. 
It's just things worked out pretty well anyway, but their arguments are all good. I mean the anti-federalists even look at something like uh, Alex, you know, uh, Cortez's Green New Deal. One of the things she talks about is public transportation everywhere. Well, there's a great big difference between public transportation in, let's say, New York, maybe run into Philadelphia, and then let's say in South Dakota. You're not going to have tra- you're not going to have everybody getting on a subway in South Dakota and going somewhere, or Idaho, where you got all this land and there's like tiny population center, tiny population. You know, nobody's going to be running the subway out to some tiny town. So a lot of these things, a lot of the problems we do have, and a lot of the things we spend an inordinate amount of time fighting over. Really, what we're fighting over is that government wants to make everything one size fits all instead of letting everybody do their own thing to a certain extent. The more we get away from federalism, the more likely it is, I think down the road, and I hate to say this, but the more likely it is we break up as a country because the reality is we're not going to all live this way and love it. We're not going to keep forcing everybody to live the exact same way and having half the country seething in rage and saying, oh my God, it's, this, is a, you know, this is a disaster if the other side wins. That's not healthy, and it's not good for us. The more federalism we have, the better off everybody is, liberals and conservatives. You mean anti-federalism? Yes. If you think about it, that's why they wrote in order to form a more perfect union. They knew what the hell was going on then. I mean, we are just trying. We are, our schools have done such a great job of indoctrinating and leaving out so much of the important history or attempting to smear those who really made history by calling them racists or homophobes or bigots or whatever you want to do. But they got it right in order to form a more perfect union. They knew it wasn't going to be perfect, and they knew states would vary. But in order to form a more perfect, they wanted to move that way, but it just wasn't going to be that way. States' rights is what this country is made of. Absolutely. I agree with you 110%. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know who was going to jump in there. But yeah, absolutely. 110 percent, you're right. I mean that that is what makes a country successful, makes a country as big as the United States successful. Uh, the more we try to all – everybody's got to do the same thing, the worse it's going to get. Well, well you're um, a perfect example quick. of it. Sorry, Annie. Go ahead. All right. Oh, no, I was going to say a perfect example of what you guys are talking about is the California campus voted to ban Chick-fil-A over their religious views, claiming that it's, it's intolerant. They're demanding tolerance, and yet they are intolerant of everyone else that disagrees with them. And that's the whole big lie of the left. They claim to be tolerant, but yet they're the biggest bunch of intolerant individuals you ever want to meet. Go ahead, John. Yeah, the the most intolerant people you're ever going to meet in the United States are people who talk constantly about tolerance. And the most the people who are the biggest bullies are the ones that talk the most about victimhood. It just works that way. The biggest racists are the ones who call, who are always anti-racist all the time. That's what they say. It just it's funny, but that's how it has worked out. And one of the I think 
dangerous and un-American and unhealthy trends we've seen lately is that you have all these colleges that are pushing the idea that you know, nobody is allowed to disagree with you because if they disagree with you, that's violence. That's hurting you. You can't stand the whole idea if you're in college, some of these people, that there are people with competing ideas who are allowed to speak at all on your campus. And this is craziness. This is ridiculous. Oh, this goes against the Yeah, it goes against the whole idea of what America's been pushing for hundreds of years. And it's unhealthy because the reality is there are lots of people that disagree with you, disagree with me, disagree with all of us. That's how it goes. And for you to be able and that's one of the reasons you're seeing these social media networks move to censorship. They're doing that because that's something that's an idea that's bubbling up. It's unhealthy. I don't want to censor. I'll tell you now, as much as I disagree with them, I would not kick Louis Farrakhan off of any platform. I wouldn't kick these white supremacists. Can't stand them. Don't agree with them. Wouldn't kick them off any platform. Let them put their ideas out there and beat them with better ideas. Learn how to debate what they're saying. Don't just say, well, they're too dangerous to be allowed to talk. All you do is make them sexy to a certain group of the uh, part of the population. You know, what I find funny is that when you do end up in a debate with someone uh, on a social network, which I've done many times, you know, instead of having a civil discussion and exchanging ideas and trying to get someone to understand where you're coming from, you end up getting this vitriol and the vicious, foul-languaged attacks that you undergo. And I, I just basically said, when I end up with someone doing that to me, it's like, listen, I entered into a civil discussion. If you cannot do that, then the discussion's over because you will not listen to or try to exchange ideas. You know, that's the problem we have. We can't sit down and I may not agree with someone 100 percent, but try to show me where you're coming from so at least I can understand you better. And that's not being done. Well, that's old school thinking. That's the type of thinking we grew up with and thinking that actually works best. What it is now is pure tribalism. Well, I don't need to know how to, your, your logic or your thought process. You're in the other tribe. So everything you say is bad and wrong and evil. And it's it, it, there's not I mean there's not even an attempt to make any type of logical argument or come up and say hey let me convince you that you're wrong. It's just straight up other tribe bad. That's as deep as it gets. And I, and I think partially uh, I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but I think the way social media works is causing people to think like that in part not only because they're only hearing from people that agree with each other because they cut out block ban everybody else. But because I think when you look at stuff like Twitter and Facebook, I, I think it hurts people's ability to form coherent thoughts. They learn by that I mean that they their knowledge is a mile wide and an inch deep. They don't have deep understandings of much of anything. There's so much going on. There's so much information. They haven't read books on it. They haven't taken classes on it. They've read a couple of articles with some talking points written by people who are diehard partisans, and that's as much as they know. So they're incapable of going out and having these arguments with you about a subject because they don't really have a deep understanding of it. I think that's a starting to become a big problem too where you know, these people really and truly don't have the knowledge to discuss these issues in depth. Now, that's the problem. You know, it's, if you can't do it in 140 characters, you're not going to pay attention to it and you're not going to be absorbed. But 
Warp makes a very important point in the chat room, and I've got great people up in the chat room and people listening in the studio. Just want to remind them, if you are listening in, in the studio on your smart device and you want to participate, please press 1. Otherwise, I'm going to assume only that you're listening in. But Warp's point is, is that when that speech in that social network devolves into promoting violence, such as Kathy Griffith, where she held up Trump's severed head, uh, or where someone else promoted the raping of uh, his uh, Trump's son, Byron, uh, when it devolves into promoting violence, at that point, censorship is appropriate. But exchanging ideas as diverse, as you were putting out, like the white supremacist, Louis Farrakhan, or someone as simple as James Woods, uh, no one should be censored for, for having a civil discussion, exchanging ideas. But when it devolves into promoting violence, then we have a problem. That becomes in the realm. Well, of I criminal. agree with you. I, I agree with you 110 percent. And I and I do think, for example, I, I think it's fine to say, all right, if someone's harassing people or they're promoting violence, yeah, get rid of them. But I'll just give you an example: something like Gab. Does, that's their policy. That's all. That's the only reason they're going to kick you off their service, and they get tarred as a pro-Nazi network. Well, no, they're not pro-Nazi. They're pro-free speech. Everybody used to be pro-free speech. We might say, hey, we disagree with you 110%, but you have a right to go out there and speak, and we're moving away from that as a society, and it's extremely unhealthy. There's a lot of ideas today that were not mainstream 20 years ago. There's a lot of ideas I think 20 years from now that we will look back on and say, wow, people believe some archaic and dumb things back then. I mean I'm glad there were people – You know, if the social media networks would have been around at one time, maybe they would have said, hey, uh, you're not allowed to make these anti-slavery arguments. You've got to get off. We, we're not going to allow these anti-slavery arguments. Those are radical. Everybody knows slavery is good. I mean that's the type of thinking. I want I mean I think what you're seeing now with these social networks is they're getting people who they think they're not going to take too much flack for. They go after Milo and Laura Loomer and a few other people. They say, "Ah, we're not going to catch a lot of flack." But what they really want to do is spread that out. They know if let's say they get rid of Ben Shapiro, they're going to catch hell or Jonah Goldberg or something, but they're saying, "Hey, who can we get rid of?" Like I'll I'll give you an example. Uh, I had, you know, was not running my Facebook page, the Right Wing News Facebook page, for like the last year it was up. But a week after I did the fundraiser for Judge Kavanaugh that raised about $600,000, well, guess what? The Facebook page was taken down, and Twitter took down the Right Wing News Twitter account, which I did run. They got rid of those. There was no real – they gave an explanation, but they never said, all right, give me a specific violation. Point one out. Point out an actual violation. They never did it. They're just like, hey, you're down. We claim you're breaking some rules. As far as I know, we weren't, and they take us down, and you're seeing that with banks. You've seen that with Chase Bank where you've had multiple people who are ta- who've had their accounts taken down. I mean think about this. Think about the whole idea of a bank saying to you, we don't agree with your political views. So you can't bank here. I mean can you imagine like, oh, well – we don't agree with your political views. You can't have internet. You don't agree with your political views. You, you, can't, uh, you can't use this smart refrigerator. Oh, we're not going to give you internet service. I don't think we want to be that type of society, and I would like to see more Republicans in Congress making a stink about this. We're seeing some. I'd like to see a lot more. I'd like to see these big social networks broken up as monopolies. 
you know, there's a lot to be said about that because when you talk about the banks, you have not just Bank of America, uh, Chase Bank, but Bank of America, PayPal, uh, denied gun dealers access to the account. You know, to say no, you can't do these transactions to sell a gun or ammunition. They're attacking not just our freedom of speech, but our Second Amendment rights of self-defense. I agree, and I think one of the things or one of the places conservatives have gotten into trouble is that we have started going out and saying, hey, the only people who are allowed who can threaten free speech is the government. And the government certainly can threaten free speech, and the First Amendment talks about the government, but they're not the only threat to free speech. Uh, these social networks have become so overpresent. We've allowed them to become monopolies, Facebook, Google, where they have this enormous amount of control over what gets heard and what doesn't get heard in a society. And we're letting them control that, and suddenly, guess what? Mark Zuckerberg, if you ask me, the two most powerful, three most powerful people in America are Donald Trump, Mark Zuckerberg, and the guy that runs Alphabet, Larry Page, which, which controls Google. They're the three most powerful people in America. Well, guess what? Well, at least we had a vote for Donald Trump. Who voted on the policies for Google? Yeah. Who voted on the policies for Facebook? You know what people don't realize? Google, up until April 1st, allowed personal pages. They took that down. Now it's only business accounts. So they're uh, once again limiting free speech by saying, oh, the little guy doesn't matter anymore. We don't care about you guys. Boom, you're gone. And uh, people don't realize that. But yet they use the Google account to sign into everything else, including Instagram. And it, it, it is frustrating when you do try to get the conservative message out because you are so limited. And God forbid you put up a picture of a gun. Oh, good Lord. If that'll get anything to get you banned, that'll get you banned. Or how about you talk about, you know, radical Islam? That'll get you kicked off. So free speech is under attack everywhere. Well, and they're, that's how it works, too. Like I say, they're getting the outliers, but then they start restricting what other things you can talk about. Well, you can't talk about radical Islam because we think that uh, you're, you're attacking Islam. We declare that. And they're very different things, I should hope. But you know, you're not allowed to do that. Well, they're going to keep reeling these things in. You saw it with advertising too. You see it with YouTube, where YouTube will go out and say, "Hey, you know, you're not allowed to talk about this. We're going to demonetize you. You know, we're not going to allow you to get advertising. You can sure you can put up stuff, but if you you can spend 20 hours on a video, we're just not going to let you make money on it." So that stuff is coming. There, Google uses ads to do it. Facebook uses traffic to do it. And all this stuff is very unhealthy, and I think it's unhealthy for a society to let it go on to have massive corporations controlling what you're allowed to see and not allowed to see. And I, and I got to tell you, they have an enormous amount of control. I, one of the things I found, uh, like with Right Wing News's page, we had this enormous page, 3.6 million people. Well, we drove enormous amounts of traffic to the Right Wing News page, but then. Um, what would happen next would be that all the people would go back to Facebook. They don't stay. So that's the thing. They have all these people who use the uh, who use the services, but they stay on the services. So it, it's one of those things that's very um, very difficult, and it's very difficult to get them off of these services. There is not going, and I'm going to tell you, and there could be some uh, sort of 
technological skip that gets around Facebook, but you're not going to build a Facebook alternative that beats them. They're too big. They have too much money. If it actually does well, they will buy it just like they did with Instagram and WhatsApp. So the only way realistically, if you ask me to stop something like Facebook is to split it up. Even if you just end up regulating it, what will happen is these guys have so much money and power and influence is that they will end up making the regulations to benefit them. They will end up working with Congress behind the scenes, and they'll talk about all the, the tough regulations they put in, in place, and then what will happen is the regulations will be made to benefit them, and that's just – that's the type of stuff that goes on. I think the only thing you can do almost with like Google, with Facebook is to split them up, which is something that has a long conservative pedigree. Ronald Reagan did it. Teddy Roosevelt did it. We've been splitting up big corporations for a long, long time. It kind of fell out of favor. Uh, gosh, I guess maybe 30 years ago, but I think it's something we need to get back to. No, I agree, because even one of the founders of Facebook, who's no longer involved in it, was a proponent for breaking up Facebook because he said, this is not what we envisioned. This is just way out of hand, and it's gotten too big for its riches. And it, it, it has become a dictatorial society unto itself. And that's just one of the things that's happened because we have allowed these corporations to get so big. And you know, it's a, it, I think it's a thing – like I wrote a piece for National Review talking about breaking up monopolies like these, and one of the points I made in it was, well, listen, if you're not on these things, if you're not on these networks, you might as well be writing in a diary because if you can't get your message out on Facebook and you can't get your message out on Twitter – uh, there's it's a 99.99% chance nobody's going to hear it cuz even the big websites out there a lot of them are so dependent on on Facebook that they have trouble surviving they're not going to do anything to uh, offend Facebook they're not going to do anything at risk their traffic I, I think it's dangerous to give corporations as much power and conservatives are very used to fearing government power but I have to tell you, corporations that are monopolies can be just – well, I won't say just as dangerous, almost as dangerous, and that's something conservatives used to intrinsically fear. They used to say intrinsically we don't want too much power being centered in anyone's hands, whether it's a government or a corporation. We've kind of moved away from that a little bit. I'd like to see us move back in that direction. Yeah. Now, my co-host is awfully quiet in the background. I wonder if he fell asleep. <laughs> No, I got I, I got a laundry list of questions, and because we have the delay, I'm just gonna uh, I'll I'll mention your name, John, and then we'll we'll, we'll wait. Uh, three things. Um, number one, why is it do you think so many of the Republicans are so spineless and gutless to stand with Trump? That's the first question. I mean, why are they're just like outright pansies? Number two. What made you decide to be the one to soldier up on behalf of Kavanaugh? I mean, that really, it's kind of how you kind of came to light all over the U.S. Uh, and, of course, we're called an awful lot of names by an awful lot of women who had no proof of anything. Uh, finally, three, uh, we need a Southern Sense exclusive. What next in your big bag of tricks for our, our – uh, our host here is John going to surprise us with. So go ahead, John. <laughs> well, on one, I, listen, I don't think people have been 
as unsupportive of Trump. I, I mean, I think they have generally been supportive of Trump in, in the Senate. I know people don't think they have. I think they've generally gone along with what he wanted to do. They've disagreed with him a little, and I, I think some of that's just the old split in the party. There's always this split in the Republican Party between kind of the establishment, country club, Republican types, and the more populist grassroots types. Like if you look at someone like Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney's like 80, 90 percent establishment country club. Donald Trump's more like the other way. He's like 80, 90 percent grassroots populist. And these two sides, you know, we clash a little bit sometimes, and we kind of get into fights over different things because the priorities are different. Like if you look at, uh, you know, like if you look at an issue like immigration, you will see the split, and it splits along those lines where you have all the grassroots populist people, the Tea Party people who are like, right, we've got to fight him, you know, got to fight illegal immigration, and like a lot of the establishment people are like, ah, we're generally okay with it. Tucker Carlson, I thought, what a wonderful book talking about these splits. How you can see on the left and right, they kind of agree on some of these things. You know, uh, along the establishment things, they look at things the same way. Uh, as to as to Kavanaugh, you know, I I had, was really frustrated with what was going on, and I was super frustrated that you've got these huge GoFundmes for the other side, and everybody was like, well, when can we do a GoFundMe for Kavanaugh? You know, why can't we do that? And nobody really, people have, you know, were really down on GoFundMe on the right side, but I figured, hey, let's jump in there. Do a big fundraiser. Show some support, and I can tell you from talking – I did not get to talk to Kavanaugh because of ethics rules. Um, there's a lot of stuff I actually know I don't get to say about that, but let me put it this way. They were very aware of the thing the whole time it was going on, even though they weren't – they didn't get to speak up until after it was done. Uh, they were very aware of it. They were very cheered by it. They were very happy to see that people were supporting them because you never heard anything but terrible stuff on the news. So – Seeing that there's all these people chipping in money and looking out for them, that was very good for them. They were very happy about that. And in the end, you know, we didn't get to give it to them because of ethics rules, but I looked at it like this. Let's say he would not have gotten confirmed, which could have happened. He could have lost his judgeship. His family might have really needed that money. So that would have been an option. I think that gave him some peace of mind. And in the end, it went to a Catholic charity he supported. So you know, I think that was just a win-win all the way. I mean, we got to show a lot of support for Kavanaugh, and we raised almost a half a million dollars for children's charities. I mean, that to me, that's just a huge, huge win. And last but not least, what am I doing? Well, you know, I'm really working on building up Brass Pills, building up the podcast. And like I say, I've been in negotiations on getting a column back. Like I say, I left Pajamas Media after Salem bought them. I've been talking back and forth with some different people about where I'm going to come up, and it's taken longer than expected. I wanted to be back writing columns quicker than this. I've actually wrote a few that I've piled up. I can't stand not writing them. So all that stuff I expect within the next two or three weeks, you'll see me back writing columns again uh, normally, and I'm going to keep pushing brass pills. I'm hoping to make that enormous one day. It is a really good website. Absolutely great website. I We only have just a couple of minutes left. Um, but I'm going to hang on to you until our next guest calls in, if you don't mind. But you, you wrote an article on your website. I was unaware of this one, The Princess Project. Oh, my God. I can't actually believe that women are doing this to their sons. Oh, my God. Uh, 
Oh, you got to tell people what this is all about. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a thing where they have women who dress up as Disney princesses, and they want to take pictures with little boys, but not little boys dressed as princes. They made that very clear. They need to also be dressed up as princesses. So they take the so it's like, hey, you come out and dress up as Ariel or I don't know, I, you know Cinderella. <laughs> Take pictures of you dressed up, and so it's it's the most embarrassing. It, it's it's a whole idea. It's it goes back to this whole feminist idea that they push a lot these days that masculinity in and of itself is bad. So we need to destroy everything that's masculine and rebuild men as defective girls. Because let's face it, some of these kids, you know, not only did they not use their last names, they didn't even use their same first names because obviously they didn't want their friends to know they did this. So that should tell you something right there. Nobody's pr- no, but no eight-year-old kid um, is going to be proud to be wearing a dress. Maybe there's a few, very, very few. Mostly, a lot of the stuff I think is driven by their parents, or probably more likely their moms. There's probably not dads in the house because I got to tell you, there's no way in hell I'd let a son of mine go go out in public dressed in a dress. I don't care. Ain't no, I don't care what the scenario is, what the reason is. If he wants to do that at 18, he can be a disappointment then, not when he's young. <laughs> well, this is, this is the gender identity, the idea that gender is fluid. Excuse me, God made man and God made woman. And I don't care how much you mutilate your body with surgeries and hormones. You're dead and buried, and a thousand years from now, if they dig you up, they test your bones, and it's going to say XX or XY. It's going to be either male or female. There's no in-between. And yet they want to make us believe that, oh, that little boy is actually a little girl. So from the day that child is born, I'm going to make that boy into a girl or that girl into a boy. And what's, what's the end result? You got higher uh, incidence of suicide on children, higher incidence of, of uh, disruptive behavior, higher incidence of mental illness. That's the end result. Well, I, you know, what all this comes down to with transsexualism is that these people are mentally ill. And I don't hate them. I don't think they're bad people, but they have a mental illness. And instead of getting treatment for it, instead of us as a society saying, you need to get treated with this, this may be something you, you suffer with for a long time or your whole life. Now, a lot. this is one interesting side note. A lot of kids who have this. A lot of kids who are who are under 18, the vast majority of them who feel like they're transsexual change their mind later. So when you see stories, and when I say vast majority, it's like 70, 80 percent. I'd have to look at the numbers, but it's way up there. So when you see stories about 10-year-olds being put in dresses and that type of stuff and walked around and being told, oh, well, you're really a girl, Johnny. Well, this stuff is, is child abuse in my opinion, and it's it's very unhealthy, and we have all these problems now as a society. That have been created by us catering to a mental illness instead of saying, oh my gosh, that's a terrible problem you have. We need to help you with it. We, I mean you look at what's going on with bathrooms. When you have men you know, going in with women, where you have men competing in women's athletic events and breaking records now. Does that – I mean is Bruce Jenner now the women's decathlete champ? I don't know. I, I just saw – I wrote a story. I guess it was up today where a – a transsexual woman, I guess I don't even know how to describe it. So a, a woman who looked like a man comes in, 
and she's sick, and they spend all this time working on her, and they realize at the end she's pregnant. And they didn't realize it because it looked like a man, and he'd been taking testosterone, said he hadn't had a period in all this time. He, I keep saying he, but it's a she. And so she was pregnant, and they're like, oh my gosh, this, the hospital staff needed more training. No, <laughs> we need to stop telling women that they can falsely, they can change into men, and men that they can change into women. If they wanted to say, hey, I'm going to change into a cow. We wouldn't go, oh, wow, you could certainly change into a cow. Just put some horns and an udder on there, and you're a cow now. You No, you can't do that. You can't change into a cow. You can't change into a dolphin. You can't change into a car, a dragon, a planet, and you can't change sexes. And I, I mean I, I'm not – and I don't say that out of hatred or anything. I, I, I understand we need to be very sympathetic to people with mental illnesses, but the worst thing we can do in that situation is to cater to it. And just say, hey, we're going to play along. We don't go to people who are delusional, who think the FBI is monitoring their teeth and go, they are monitoring your teeth. They are. They're listening in on you all the time. We don't do that. That's horrible, and that's what we're doing. That's the sort of unhealthy, horrible thing we're doing to people who believe they're a different gender. You know, um, we've had on the show a couple of times Walt Heyer, who uh, runs a website, uh, uh, Sex Change Regrets, and he's written several books on this issue. He spent actually, I think something like 20 years, yeah, living as a woman. You know, he went through the entire transition. He ended up transitioning back, and he's become a leading expert on it uh, because he took classes in psychology and realized he was mentally ill. He was not actually a woman. So he's now living back with his wife as a man. And he says it's something closer to 90% of kids once they reach the age of 18 to 20, decide that they are you know, male or female, their birth sex. And he, he cites the statistics of the highest group committing suicide that has alcohol and drug abuse are those that are in the transgender groups. And he said the vast majority of them had some sort of abuse as a young child, whether it was mental or physical abuse which caused this dysphoria, if you want to call it that. Uh, so, yeah, you are 100% correct. It used to be prior to having a sex change, you had to go through extensive psychoanalyst, And it would be years before you would be given the, the green light to do a transition, only after you've been thoroughly examined and had this therapy. But today, you can have a six-year-old saying, I'm a boy or I'm a girl. And all of a sudden, mommy and daddy run to the doctor for hormones to stop you from changing in, in puberty. Yeah, it's, it is a societal mental disease that we are fighting. Well, the worst thing that's happened I, – I, well, I don't want to say the worst thing that happened. But something that's very bad is I think transsexualism is trendy now. And by that, what I mean is it's one of those things where we're encouraging people at everything. All right. We're going to have drag queens come out and read to you. Why would you want drag queens reading to small children? It's insane. You don't want to do that. You should be discouraging people. And If they're 18 years old and they still want to go do that, I mean personally – let me put it this way. Gender dysmorphia you – know, there's dysmorphia too where people think, and this is something that's been around a long time, where people will say, well, I think my arm – doesn't belong in my body, or I think my legs doesn't belong in my body, and it's considered unethical 
for a doctor just to cut off a healthy arm or cut off a healthy leg. But we do that. There's now nullos. I don't know if you've heard of nullos, but they just cut their genitals and nipples off. And they're like, well, we're not transsexuals, but we're related to that. And, ah. and years ago, I was I was talking to Kathy Shadel, who wrote a book, and she's like, listen, there's people out there who think they're planets in a human body. <laughs> there's people who think they're everything. So there is no bottom to this if we keep feeding it. Nullos is relatively new. I, I don't think it's a good idea for us to cater to this stuff because, like I say, it just goes on and on. We're going to have more and more weird problems, even stuff like dead naming. <gasps> it should be illegal. You called her by the birth name, not the new name they chose two weeks ago when Jim decided he's Susan. You called him Jim. You can't do that. Oh, it's not him either. You're a bad person. Da -da 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 -da. I don't know. A lot of this stuff is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. And you as a society, have... we should do better. Absolutely. And you also have now New York State law that if a uh, government worker misidentifies someone's gender, they can be thrown in jail and fined. Uh, you have a woman in uh, England who is on a social network and misidentified someone's gender, and the cops came to the house, arrested her, and took her in for questioning in front of her children. And it, is, it has gotten off the deep end. It has really gotten off the deep end. And if you think biologically, the human mind and body is not fully developed sexually until the age of 27. So up until the age of 27, you are still deciding whether or not you're bisexual, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever. And yet they have children as young as three, four, that they are already transitioning into a different gender. It's sick. When you cater to people's mental illnesses, it seldom stops at a reasonable point because they are mental illnesses, and the more you cater to them, the more they grow. So as a society, we're doing something that is not only dumb, but it's harmful to people ultimately. It's harmful not just to transsexuals. It's harmful to other people now. I mean when you see a young girl being called a bigot because she sees someone with male equipment changing over there staring at her in the in the room, you know in the in the changing room she's not the bad guy or if you're a female athlete who's trained since you're 5 years old and some guy with testosterone and more muscle mass and more bone strength than you comes out and smashes you like it's nothing in an athletic event you're not the bad person for not being okay with that you know, and that's how we we treat it. I, you know, so it's it's ridiculous. It's pathological, and the more we cater to this mental illness, the more ill we become as a society. Now that is absolutely true. And because we're such horrible people, where we feel that there is a definite biological difference in the muscle mass of a man compared to a woman, uh, but. We'll, when they transition, it's okay because now they're no longer a man. They are a woman, but still he has the muscle mass of a man, so he should not be competing in a woman's sport, and vice versa. It goes both ways, and yet we make it acceptable because this is what the society says is the new norm, and it's not fair, to, as you said, to someone that's been training all their life in that event, in that gender, to have it smashed to the smithereens because someone decided to transition into that alleged gender. And it, it, it's an upside-down world we're, we're starting to live in. 
Well, now to conform to the lie that you know, there's no difference between the genders, you've actually started people to start saying, well, there's no physical differences between the sexes. You're starting to hear that more and more now. You know, but that's so obviously untrue. Everybody knows it. You, there have even been studies that with college athletes, they've compared college female athletes to untrained males in college who don't do any type of training, don't play sports. The males have more muscle mass, and that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean I've done sparring with women before, and it's different. You have to be very, very careful because they're female. You know, it's it's. I'm just saying there's like such a, a world of difference between men and women physically, and, and they go out and they find the most – I don't know, the craziest exceptions to the rule you know, and say, well, I think Ronda Rousey can take most men. Well, maybe she could, her and about five other women, and then you go down from her, and then everybody else loses to the average guy, and I mean – that's the sort of stuff we're talking about. It's it's really unhealthy. It's really illogical, and they, they do all this to defend the false idea that, hey, men could just change their gender and go compete with women, and there's no difference. So the more we do this stuff, the more we cater to this mental illness, the more unhealthy we become, the more lies we tell each other, and that's what you're starting to see happen to defend these first group of lies, this first group of mental illnesses. We're adding more. It's a bad thing. It's it seems like more and more of our polit- uh, of our mainstream and the liberals today are almost like we they've always wanted a dependency uh a dep- a group of taxpayers that have to be dependent on its government because that's part of their huge tax base as the GOP has its uh extremely affluent type but it now seems like they're attempting to create a large portion of uh, vict- uh, victims, whether it be through transgender or whether it be through homosexual, whatever group there is. And it's almost as if they say, we are going to provide for you, just support us. You are a victim because of them. But it always comes down to they don't get what they want, and then they try to blame it on people who think politically like us. They're the reason you're not getting what we promised, John. Well, and that's true. I I think it's amazing where you look at some area that hasn't had a Republican in 50 years running anything, and they're like, oh, you know, it must be the Republicans that did this. And our culture has gotten much, much more victim-oriented, and that is so unhealthy. Uh, You have people now competing. I mean this is – I mean think about the whole idea – that we have fake hate crimes, and this is a huge common thing now. I mean, people. I mean, if you see a hate crime pop in the news, I'm going to say flip a quarter, and it's about a 50% chance it's real and 50% chance it's fake. I mean, look at Jesse Smollett. This is a guy who's an actor, who's successful, who's making all this money, and it's still not enough. He's got to fake a hate crime, and I mean, think how unhealthy this is, our society has to be to encourage that kind of thing. And like you say, that's absolutely correct. What Democrats do is they try to take everybody and they say, all right, we're the only ones going to help you, and you're a failure. You're a loser. Without us helping you, you're dead in the water, and those other people, they hate you. And none of those things are true. There's nobody that has to fail in American society, nobody. And they don't really help people very much. You can see this over and over and over again. 
that these groups that Democrats are supposedly helping never seem to really make any progress. I mean the worst thing that can happen to you is to have the Democrats come in to help you because that means you're in a lot of trouble. And I got to tell you something. Republicans don't hate these people either. There's no group of Americans I hate. You know why I hate? I hate terrorists from uh, other countries. There's no group of Americans I hate. I don't hate Muslims. I don't hate gays. I don't hate blacks. I don't hate Asians. And there are people out there who do here and there amongst Democrats and Republicans. You'll find people that hate one group or the other group, but I, I, I think it's so unhealthy. To, to go this route where everybody's supposed to be turned against everybody because you can't make a multicultural country work that way over the long haul. Either we're all going to be the same, uh, you know, culturally homogenous, or we're going to have different cultures and respect everybody's culture and say, all right, well, we might disagree with you on this, but we can still get along here. If we all hate each other, how do we make that work? How do we – I mean just think about the whole idea like with illegal immigration. Their whole idea is, hey, conservative Republicans hate you. They think you're evil. They think you're terrible. They want you to die. Now come to America, and we want millions and millions of you to pour into the country. Well, why? Should you be telling them to stay in Mexico because it's safer, because everybody here hates you because we're such bad people? None of this stuff makes sense, and it's, it's so unhealthy for us. And uh, like I say, a multicultural society like this cannot survive long term with all these different groups of people at each other's throats. We've either got to get along as one culture or we can't be multicultural. It's just one or the other. They're going to implode over time. Man, John, you, you are what? amazing. Something I noticed. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Something I noticed uh, back in the 60s when they started to introduce into our elementary schools um, the the idea of having a day we would have someone of Asian culture bringing food and decorations and stuff and celebrate that culture. They started that multicultural idea back in the 60s in the elementary schools and brought it up into the high schools and everywhere else. So they, they caused us to be propagandized with this idea of multiculturalism. But that's not what America is based on. It's based upon the melting pot. And I, I had someone explain it to me one time when I was trying to explain what was wrong and he goes well think of it you have a melting pot like a super stew or something like that and everything goes in everything blends together and it's good and you can put it on the shelf in the refrigerator and keep it for like a month everything goes together but if you have a tossed salad once you toss that salad together you've got like carrots here and whatever that goes bad by the end of the day it's wilted it's it's not going to work and when you look at it as if the melting pot or the salad bowl, I'd rather go for the melting pot. Well, I mean that's our whole nation's motto, e pluribus unum, out of, out of many one. And you know, the more we – like I say, the more we go in that direction, the unhealthier we're going to be. I mean think about this. The whole idea that we're not supposed to appropriate other cultures, as if you can pin down where one thing came from in the first place. But you know, you're not supposed to steal something from another culture. Like tonight, I'm going to appropriate some Thai culture. Right after we get done, we're going to a Thai <laughs> restaurant. I've got a pretty girl sitting on my lap right now, ready for me to get out here and go get some Thai food. So, I, you know, I, we're going to do that tonight. And there's people who go, "Well, you're not supposed to eat Thai food. How, who, how dare you eat something from another culture? How dare you go out and throw axes in your backyard? I don't know what culture 
how that came from. Maybe German. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, why can't we do that? Or I see people complain about hoop earrings. Well, you, you're a white person. You're not supposed to wear hoop, hoop earrings. We know Shakespeare was wearing those 1,500 years ago. Was that right? I don't know. It's a long time ago with Shakespeare. <laughs> but this is the thing. I mean, we're getting like this. We should be glad. I mean, I think as a general rule from what I've seen, people in other cultures who are actually in those cultures – Love it when people appropriate their culture. It's They take it as what it is, a compliment to them. Hey, you're doing something that's really cool. We want to copy you, and that's how it should be. So a lot of the stuff, this whole idea that they're trying to keep us apart as much as possible, it's not good for us, not good for us at all. No, it's all the game of identity of politics. If you can separate the groups, separate the victims, make them believe they are victims – and only you, the left, the progressive left, can rescue them from the horrific crimes being appropriated against them. You know, but instead, our nation was built upon the idea of everyone working together for a common goal of a good community, a peaceful, independent community. But that's no longer – an immigrant comes here no longer assimilates. I mean, my grandparents, three of them were immigrants. And the rule was, you speak English in the house. But today, no. Why do I have to press one for English and two for Spanish? No, no. This is America. We speak English. <laughs> this, is, this is the whole idea. They need the victims. The more victims they have, the more votes they have, the more power they have. Well, even beyond that with, with immigrants – uh, we see this with people who live in this country. Like if you think about the message you get from someone like Martin Luther King, uh, basically you know, he, he took his idea from Gandhi, and Gandhi's whole idea was, hey, the best way to get what we want out of the British, the, Brit the British are basically decent people doing something they shouldn't be doing, and we can win by showing we're peaceful and good people, and it's going to appeal to their moral center. Mar Martin Luther King did basically the same thing. And when you see all these people, people might not have agreed with them back then, but when they see all these nice, polite people wearing suits, asking for rights, it just hit them. You know? It's like, well, we've got to do that because we're, we're, they were basically, despite their flaws, good people. But what do you have today? You know, Martin Luther King didn't want to tear down our whole society. Martin Luther King didn't want to say, hey, America is basically a hateful, racist place, and it can never change. But see, that's the message they push today. And it's not a healthy message for anyone. It's not healthy to tell people, hey, listen, uh, no matter what you do, you're going to have white privilege, and you're going to be racist against black people. doesn't matter what you do. And black people, you're always going to have it harder than white people. And it's, I mean this is the type of message they push, and they push it constantly. It's so unhealthy and so toxic and so bad. I, I've got to tell you, if – their whole goal of liberalism was to destroy the country. They really wouldn't have to do anything all that different because they're getting there. It's sort of a slow poison. You know, It's not the fast poison that kills you in a week. It's sort of like that slow toxic poison they pour in your food that kills you over two years, and people go, oh, how did they get poisoned to death? And there's always somebody else they can blame, but when you look back time and time again, it's all these toxic things they're introducing. If, if we just asked one question… About every piece of legislation, everything people are doing, what's good for the country? 90% of the stuff we see out there on the left, and probably some of it on the right, we wouldn't be doing. 
Most – I mean pretty much everything the left does is bad for the country these days, almost everything. No, that, that's a huge amen on that one. You know, you think about it, what the left is using. You know, again, they break it down to victim groups. You know, you got toxic masculinity. It's a bad thing if you like to go hunting and fishing or work your hands as a carpenter or a plumber. No, no, those are bad things to do because it's too masculine. You know, it's, it's a bad thing to hold the door for a woman as she's walking in because you're anti-feminist. You know, it, it, the message they're putting through, as you said, is destroying our culture. Look what happened to the Boy Scouts. You know, once they started changing the Boy Scouts, you know, with their leadership uh, and then also with saying girls should be part of the Boy Scouts, they changed the masculinity of the Boy Scouts. They changed the whole idea that it was built upon. And again, they're doing the same thing with the Girl Scouts, with linking it up with Planned Parenthood. It's a good thing to destroy another human life. Abortion is a good thing. That's not a person in there. That's a zagite. They'll call it anything else but a preborn child. And they're tearing us apart by going after every little segment of our society and twisting it and destroying it. Well, ahead, and they, they are destroying destroying the Boy Scouts. I have to tell you, the, the funny thing about it is the people who destroyed it, basically they don't want to be part of the Boy Scouts. They don't. They might have a few test cases here and there that do. 99.9% of the people trashing the Boy Scouts have no interest in being a part of it. They wanted to tear it down. They wanted to make it bad. And listen, what are they? Let's let's be honest here. Who wants to send your teen child out in the woods with a gay man? You know, if you're a teen boy, you don't want to send a teen girl out in the woods with a gay man, do you? I mean, I think that would be kind of irresponsible. Because you know why they want to, they might they're, they're they might have to like dial it back because they're thinking you know little Sally over there looks pretty hot, she's fifteen, got some lipstick on, she's pretty now because there are girls who are that age who are attractive, and you know what there are boys who are fifteen years old who are going to be attractive to gay men. So what they're taking there is the most commonsensical, logical position in the world. I mean, if you look at what's happening with the Catholic Church, too, along those same lines, some of it are people who are interested in boys, but some of them are just gay men who are interested in teen boys. So they go out and they push all these changes through, and then what happens? The backbone of the Boy Scouts, and I don't know how many people realize this, is different religious groups. I want to say something like half the Boy Scouts are Mormon. Well, the Mormon Church had even told them, hey, if you do this, we're going to pull out you know, as a group. And they are. That's happening. The Mormon church is going to be gone. There's other church groups that are going to go. They're as good as dead. The Boy Scouts, I doubt, will exist in their current form in 10 years. If they do, they're going to be a tiny, ugly shadow of what they used to be. Maybe they'll get Boy Scout you know, merit, you know, merit badges for, I don't know, probably trans, uh, transsexual transitions. That's what they can get their, uh, get their uh, merit badges for. So that's where we're headed. It's 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 not good, and yeah, they're they've destroyed the Boy Scouts, and it's sad. If you think about it, if you yeah, think about per- all of this, this whole big picture, that all these people, whether it's destroying the Boy Scouts, whether it's whatever it is, it starts with what's the heart at their core of their of their political beliefs. America is a bad country. Every country has problems because of America. 
Um, the United States has done nothing but pimp and steal from every country, and because of its mighty power, it has uh, driven these countries to all have problems. It's always America. And at the heart and soul of whether it's Congresswoman Tlaib or a liberal in Iowa or a liberal in Oklahoma, whatever they're, uh, whatever they're, they're on their bully pulpit, whatever they're on their soapbox about, they all 100%, not to one, disagree with that statement, that America is the cause of the problems globally. That's it. John? Well, you're right, and that view is very uh, Noam Chomsky-esque. I don't know if you've ever read any of Noam Chomsky's work, but oh, that's yeah. the central theme of everything he writes. Everything It's sort of like the devil made me do it, and America's the devil. It doesn't matter. The Soviets were always responding to American aggression. The Germans were responding to something America did. If something bad happens in another country, it's because America made it happen, and – it also makes me think back to something Machiavelli wrote, and I guess that was about 500 years ago. I should check that. But around 500 years ago, he was talking about all these people who they don't compare what they have to other places in the real world. They compare it to this ideal world in their head that doesn't exist and has never existed. And that's always the thing with America. We're always being compared to, oh gosh, you know, I think what we could have if my ideal worked would be X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, your ideal doesn't work. I mean, they don't appreciate anything we actually have. And and me, I look at it a little different. You know, I, most of human history has been nasty, brutal, and short. It has been people living short lives, going out and doing farming for their family. People have been brutally poor. If you look at the, the advances in human history, uh, the, the overwhelming majority of them, I'm going to say 90 percent, have happened in the last 200 years when we've had this rare little bubble of capitalism and democracy that's come along and allowed people to, to move up and move up really fast. And we take all this stuff for granted. So many people think we can tinker with this and tinker with it, and oh my gosh, nothing could ever go wrong. We couldn't ever have a problem with it. And that's so not true. It's like with the Romans. The Romans did great for a long, long time, and they kept tinkering and tinkering, and everything blew up. Well, I can tell you, we don't have to always be a superpower. I mean, we could go down in a in a very in a hurry, and you know, our economy could go down in a hurry, our military could go down in a hurry. We've got to be smart about this. I mean, just think about the fact that I mean, if you said to me, and I and I, people have been saying this forever, but we're really starting to get to where the math is popping in. I don't think Social Security and Medicare will exist in their current forms twenty years from now. I I, I mean, they may be some shadow of what they were, where people are paying out a lot less money, but we're not going to be able to keep borrowing money forever to pay our Medicare and Social Security. I mean, at a certain point, I'm going to guess in five or ten years, we'll need like. 20% of the world GDP to pay our bills, and you know, we'll need to borrow that much. It's just not going to happen, and I don't know what happens when we get to there. You know, We'll do something. We'll, we'll you know, blame a lot of people probably, but we just don't have the money to do this long term, and I, I think we've got to make some changes for the good of the country. I wish we would, but we don't ever discuss those things anymore. We don't ever say, hey, what's going to be good for the next generation? Not some you know some agenda-driven political trash that's you know oh we need a green new deal well that's 
stupid. We don't ever like actually take these and have serious discussions about what's going to be good for the country 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line anymore. And it's so unhealthy. I wish we would. There's a lot to say. You know, they want a utopia where everyone is on a level playing field. Everyone has the same talents, the same abilities. Everyone, has, In other words, everyone has nothing is what they're going to do. That's the end result of the utopia. They tried it with the pilgrims. When the pilgrims first came over, they said, well, you know, everyone works in a communal fashion. Well, they found out in the end there were people that were going to work. And there were people that just said, well, I'm going to get it anyway, so what the heck am I going to put any effort in there for? And that's the end result. So everyone ends up with nothing. And the pilgrims almost starved to death only by allowing people the ownership of personal property and retention of that property. Did it succeed? Capitalism works. Utopia simply doesn't. And they, they want to push that idea of socialism on us and this set of Democrats out there running for president and any Democrat running for office is pushing socialism. It used to be if you said, oh, I'm a progressive or I, I believe in socialism, it, you were a pariah in society. But today it is accepted as the norm. We have gone from one end of the pendulum swing to the opposite end. And I, I don't know what the answer to that is, John. <laughs> well, the answer might be implementing socialism, and then everybody gets poor and realizes how stupid it is because this isn't like something economists are puzzled by. Well, gee, what works better, economics or uh, – I mean excuse me, uh, socialism or capitalism? This isn't really a question of economics. I think there's two things. One, uh, people used to be pointing these examples out when America was – felt like it was in more of a competition with the Soviet Union and the Chinese – then we could look at these systems and say, oh, well, you know, we've, we can see what's working and what's not. But some of these systems have started to be more of a hybrid. You know, China has gotten a lot more capitalist. That's why you're seeing growth there. Also, some of these capitalist countries, us included, have gotten more socialist in our policies, and that blurs the lines a little bit. But the other thing is because it fits the agenda of so many people on the left, and the left has taken over our, you know, our schools from grade school all the way through college. What you're seeing is a lot of people who love socialism, you know, giving a skewed view to these kids, and they don't know any better. They can, you can give them an example and say, "Hey, they're eating zoo animals in Venezuela. Do you really want to eat zoo? You know, you can pop that out there, and you can point these things out." And I, but also, I, I just think they're getting so much propaganda fed to them, and so little reality that I, I don't think they fully understand. No, I don't think they do. Not unless they've lived in a socialist society. But they go, oh, but look at Norway; it works there. That is not exactly correct. Uh, Those Nordic countries are not socialist. No, those Nordic countries are basically high-tax countries. They like to say that to countries that they're not in um, because somebody told them, well, Norway works out great or Denmark or whatever. They're not there. They don't know. But those countries' taxes are extremely, extremely high, but they're not socialist countries. They're just (coughs) – because the people paying the bills are big-time capitalists. But, I mean, people just don't know. They're uneducated when – 
they watch MSNBC, and that's their talking points. They watch CNN and listen to Don Lemon or uh, Low IQ uh, Van, and that's their talking points. They listen to Ocasio, that's their talking points. Keep in mind, Ocasio, Tlaib, and all those other uh, anti-Semites and haters and all them, they were recruited from the feminist website where everyone applied, and they basically thought, can these people win? And they are controlled by basically the high feminist oligarchies of the Democratic Party. And that's the agenda they're pushing, whether it was Kevin Spacey or whoever. They're, they're making a move in the Democratic Party. Yeah, you're, you're right. And you know the thing is to think about, too, when you're talking about a, an economy is that these are, it's very difficult to have a, very, a pure economy. Anymore, that's purely capitalist or purely socialist. But the thing about socialist economies is they don't grow. I mean, you could take a, a, a hundred countries and make a hundred of them capitalist, the same hundred socialists, and I don't know, 60, 70 of them that are capitalists would work, and none of them that were socialists would work. Now, you could take the ones that are already successful and layer a little more socialism on top of it. And what you're doing is you're slowing down growth. You're slowing down how well it's going to do. You're expanding the size of government. You're expanding the costs, and some of that's hitting us. I mean we're looking at what we're doing in the United States. It's not the capitalist part. The capitalist parts of our economy is what's growing everything. The socialist parts are the drag. The socialist parts are the ones that are making us head towards bankruptcy, and, and you see this overseas too, and, and as to the taxes… My gosh, it's funny because when I was in London uh, – gosh, was it a year ago, two years ago? When I was in London, you would have these people complaining, just like regular people. I mean, just tour guides, like, oh, geez, you know, these are, you know, they're not making that much money. They're like, you know, the government's taking half my check. I mean, and here in the United States, people don't realize this because you hear so much talk about, oh, it's, you know, the rich aren't paying their fair share. We have an extraordinarily progressive tax system. We're a lot more progressive than most of these European countries, and by that I mean like the rich already pay a much higher share of their income. What we don't have, the middle class here actually pay a lot less of their income than these countries in Europe. And you know, one thing I, I would say, and this kind of goes counter to what a lot of conservatives say, is that if you're going to have the middle class uh, using services, they should be paying for them. Not the poor, but if you're middle class, you should be paying in taxes your proper share. But the reason we don't do that is nobody would do it. Like if they actually came to us and say, we want you to pay uh, what these services cost or get rid of them, we'd all go get rid of them, get rid of the services. So, And we don't do that. We just funnel it off to the rich, and then we have this huge deficit rather than actually going to the middle class and saying that because they don't want that decision. They don't want the middle class going, well… We'd rather not have these services. So it's it's an unhealthy way of doing things, but it's how we do it in the states. You know, there's something truth in that because we have people that are using the Medicare and Medicaid. You know, I'm disabled, so I'm on Medicare, but uh, you don't see what the services cost. You're not getting a bottom line. So it's easy for someone on Medicaid to go into the hospital and get whatever has to be done done and never see a bill. Unless we know what we're paying for, then how do we control the costs? And that's the whole problem we have with the system. We don't know. If we were forced to pay out of pocket, can you imagine how 
many frivolous services we would not be using? I, I agree with you. And, you know, with our healthcare system, that's a big part of what's wrong with it and why it's off. Because, you know, something Ann Coulter said once, she's like, you know, listen, if the government was in charge of sandwiches and you could only get you could only go out to eat through the government, a subway sandwich would cost you twenty dollars. And that's what happens with our, our medical system, because the government takes some of these things, some of these costs out of your hands. Imagine if you could shop everywhere, just know the prices. You had one price. You could shop for this stuff. You could make informed decisions about it. People would go would, – would operate very differently. If you can buy insurance across state lines, people would act very differently, and we don't allow these market-based reforms to come in. We, we don't have tort reform, so you have these sometimes enormous lawsuits for frivolous reasons that go through, so they've got to charge you more to cover for that. We could cut our health care costs tremendously, but we don't do it, and – you know, we've gone with just a completely different direction, and we've moved in a more socialistic direction with our health care. Well, you know, predictably, every, the thing about I think that's so fascinating about Obamacare in that area is that every conservative criticism about it was right. Every one of them. They were, we were 100% right. All the stuff Obama said would happen, never, none of it happened. You didn't get to keep your doctor. Costs didn't go down. He claimed they would. I mean you could just go on and on and on. Everything conservatives are right, we're, we're right about. And yet when it comes down to it, what happens with it? We don't really want to get rid of it. Like not, not us, but the people in Congress. They're sort of balking on it. They don't want to get rid of this and go with a market-based system, which is how they should do it. If we actually went with a market-based system, what you would see is costs would drop tremendously. And that's that's the probably the best way for us to do it. We're gonna go. It looks like we're going the opposite direction. We're gonna pay the price for that down the line. We're paying it now. I mean, the cost for healthcare is ridiculous. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Matter of fact, my medical doctor, the family doctor, my husband and I use, uh, said, "Hey, when you saw Obamacare coming, he says I'm not gonna deal with it." He ended up becoming part of a concierge service. So in order to stay with him. We would have lost our doctor. We had to pay for the concierge service, which cost us a lot of money each month. But we felt that his treatment of us would be the best care we could get. So we had to shop. We had to know if we stayed with him, who else was out there? Who else would we end up with? We weren't happy with that. If you know what the cost is, you're going to make a wiser decision. But then again, they want Medicaid for all, which is where they're trying to push us. They tried it with Obozocare. Now they're calling it instead of Obozocare, Medicaid or Medicare for all. And that's no care, period. Well, not only that, too, one of the reasons that Medi- – and people don't know this. A lot of people don't. But one of the reasons Medicare, they can come out and say, well, Medicare is cheaper. Well, it's because the government will only pay so much. And so you get these doctors who get in this position. It's like, number one – well, I've had this person. They've been someone who I've, I've seen for 20 years. I want to keep seeing them. And two, maybe I'm not making as much as I should, but if I keep these Medicare patients coming in, it does at least pay something towards keeping the lights on, keeping the bills that you know happening. But what you've also seen a lot of too is a lot of doctors have dropped Medicare patients. And if you went to Medicare for all, what's going to happen is it's not going to be as profitable. 
as it used to be, and a lot of doctors are going to drop out. A lot of doctors are not going to bother, and you're going to see the sort of things you see in England where, for example, you need like a common surgery. Instead of it taking three weeks, it may take six months, or hey, we've decided you can't get this surgery at all, and that's something you're not seeing here. You're, that's the kind of things they end up having to do because there are consequences to all of this, and they don't sell that. They don't come out and give people the honest truth. And let's face it, if they told people the truth about Obamacare, it would have never passed. It would have it would have bombed out. Nobody would have voted for that if they knew what was going to happen. And Medicare for all is the same way. It's it's a bad system. It's a bad idea. It's not going to work. It, you know, the same people who are doing okay, who've, who've got the money, if you're rich enough to go where you want to go, you're going to be okay. But all for the regular people, Medicare for all is a terrible deal, and they don't realize it yet. I mean, just, just think about the whole idea. How are you going to make something cheaper and more efficient by putting a giant government bu bureaucracy between you and the people you want to take care of you? It doesn't work that way. Like I said, if, we, if you had that for restaurants, well – you're not going to be buying food in restaurants anymore. You're going to have a government bureaucracy that handles all that, and you will pay them an enormous tax bill, and they will tell you what restaurants you can go to. Everybody knows that would be a disaster, and that's what you would see with healthcare. Same exact thing. Absolutely, and you are right. There are a lot of doctors that are dropping Medicare. I had one doctor once Obamacare passed. He said, that's it. I'm closing my practice. He used to be a uh, shrimper. He says, I'm pulling the boat out, and I'm going to go back to shrimping. And he did. He closed his practice. And you're going to see more and more doctors. We have a shortfall of doctors and nurses, and it's only going to get worse the more they get us to go into Medicare for all. Well, you're right, and the other one of the ways they fill that shortfall is by getting people from other countries to come in and do it. And guess what? They haven't necessarily had the same training as American doctors. They're not as good. The quality goes down. I mean you already see with doctors now a lot of them are just – they're on a timetable. Hey, I've got to get through six patients in an hour. I have 10 minutes. And you know what? Sometimes you need more time than that to get a thorough discussion of what's going on with you. So they're, they're doing all these things, and they're cutting the quality of care, and I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a good idea. And it doesn't get brought up the way it should. I mean, they'll they'll sell you on the gee, your Medicare, your 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 Medicare will be free. Well, yeah, it'll be free except you pay for it, and it takes a lot longer, and the quality of doctors will drop if you can find a doctor. And they don't ever give you the rest of the story. That's well, like we're with cell phones, you with bridge cards, with college. Sorry, Annie, all of it. It's all free. College bridge cards, uh, you know, cell phones. Uh, I don't know if you saw recently we had an influx of televisions because I think the Pentagon got a bunch of new TVs. They, they're giving away their TVs. I mean, can you imagine when George Mason, Thomas Jefferson, and uh, you know John Hancock are signing the Declaration, and there's a line of people outside the Library of Congress to get televisions? Good God. It's all free. <laughs> But you also have you know, people that make a living out of living off of the government. They make more money getting Section 8 housing, food stamps, welfare, uh, the free phone, the free Internet. If they were to work, they would make less money. Oh, and then possibly have to pay taxes on top of it. So we've got a whole segment of society that lives off of government largesse. 
and this is this is something the left doesn't want to cut out because now they've got dependable voters. They know how which way they're going to vote. Right. Well, John? one thing I find find very interesting on that front is the number of people on disability. That's gone up quite a bit. I, I'd have to look at the numbers. I want to say it's up went up from like I don't know three or four percent like in the '60s to like eighty uh, percent, or excuse me, seven or eight percent now, something like that. And it's funny because back then there was a whole lot more manual labor. Now you've got a lot of office jobs, and you're seeing more and more disability. And the number of people on welfare – I mean when we talk about the jobless rate dropping, one thing that gets skipped or put in, I guess, depending on who's doing it is you know, there's a whole lot of people who aren't looking for jobs at all. And if you're not looking for a job, you don't get counted in that jobless rate. You don't get counted in that percentage of people that doesn't have a job because you're not looking. So we've got a bigger number of those people too. And I, I think in our society, you, you've, you're getting a, a push towards people not having to work as much. In fact, one thing Andrew Yang has gotten some traction with on the Democratic side running for president is a guaranteed $1,000 income for everybody. Hey, I'm going to pay you $1,000 a month. Everybody's going to get that. Well, what you're going to have if you have something like that is a large chunk of people just aren't going to work. And you, you say, well, for $1,000 a month? Hey, I hate to tell you this. I've done that. I've lived on $1,000 a month when I had a crummy job. You know, you go out, you live cheap, you have roommates, and you can make, you can stretch that if you're lazy. Now, I wasn't lazy. I was coming up, but you can go out and you can make that happen. So, you know, there's a, it's not healthy to keep people from working. It's healthy to give people incentives to work. Every incentive you can, you want, that's how your, your society's economy moves up. You get as many people as possible working. The less people that are working, the worse off your whole society is. And I think you've got to look out for that kind of thing. Well, you know, there's a lot to be said for that because there are pieces to wrote dealing with this issue on your website, the new one, Brass Pills, um, is that, you know, unless there's an incentive for someone, then – Society is going to fall. You're going to have um, uh, less married couples, uh, less people that will then go on to college and live a independent and successful life. You'll have higher drug and alcohol addiction, more domestic violence, as well as you know other types of violence such as robbery, drug abuse, and so forth. You know, society will fall and degrade unless people have something to live for. And this is what the left wants. They don't want you to live for something. They want you dependent upon them. They are the source of everything in your life. Instead of being independent and seeking what you want your life to be, they say, no, you're stuck in this victimhood category, and you will forever stay there. I'm your savior. Lean on me. And that's not, that's not a true American. No, it's not. And one of the sad, and I've talked about this on Brass Pills. One of the sad things is that we've moved away from things that give people meaning in life. And by that, I mean, like, you know, people, less people are getting married. You're not seeing that as much. Less people believe in God. Less people are going to church. They're religious. That you know takes their meaning away. There's people who you know. There's not as many people who are having kids, so there's less people who have that. And so we have all these people who are who are just you know they're deluged with things to do. 
They can go out and play video games. They can go out and watch movies anytime they want. They got Netflix at home. They got TV. So they're they're kind of content in the moment, but they don't have these deeper meanings in their life. And when you've got that happening, there's no deeper meaning to it. There's no why am I here? There's no purpose. People get unhappy. They get deeply unhappy. They get anxious. They have all these problems in their life. They a lot of times go off the rails. Uh, I guarantee you there's not one uh, person who's gone on a mass shooting rampage out there who has a strong purpose in their life. You know, you're not going to see somebody who's, well, you know, I'm living my life for God and you know, maybe if they're really crazy, but that's not most of these people in that way. They're they're crazy, but they're not that they're not delusional where they think God told them to go out and shoot people. So they're not doing that. They're not saying, "Well, gee, I've got to I've got to stay on the straight and narrow to take care of my kids and to take care of my wife and to when you take all these purposes away from people, when you say, hey, you don't need to plan for your, your own retirement. You don't need to take care of your kids. Hey, if you get divorced, we'll take care of your kids. Society will. Or we'll take care of your wife. You don't need to do anything. You just sit back and have a great time. Human beings are not designed to do that. It's like that scene in The Matrix where you know they, they, the computer program's talking to uh, Morpheus and he says, you know, the first, the first Matrix, we made this perfect world for everybody, and everything was great, and everybody kept dying. So we had to make the world like this to give you some challenges, give you something going on, because your species doesn't like perfection. You don't like everything to be handed to you. I even remember this Twilight Zone episode where <laughs> – You've got this guy. He's a, he's a bank robber. He gets shot. He's, he wakes up, and he thinks he's in heaven, and then he realizes everything he does succeeds. When he plays pool, all the balls go in. Every girl likes him. There's no drama. There's no danger. There's no purpose, and then the guy's like, ha-ha, you're in hell. Well, we're a little like that. We've got to have that purpose. We've got to have that reason to do things. And it's there's not as much of that out there for people anymore. People don't have a reason to get up in the morning other than, hey, I want to go uh, play some video games and watch Netflix. Well, that's not a happy life. No, it's not. And like I said, everyone has to have the strides and the goal. And I've said this many times, and I know, Mike, you've heard me say this, that they do not want us to go to church because if we – Worship at the altar of God, we know there is a higher purpose. There is a purpose to our life. Instead, we have to worship on the altar of government and be dependent upon government. And that's it. The end all and where we're the all of it all. And uh, yeah. taking church and faith out of our life was the, the biggest thing to destroying us. Well, and that, that's very true as we kind of wind down. Uh, thanks for being with us all this time. But, Annie, it's, it, it, it is, as I mentioned before about, about America, but they believe that we are endowed by the federal government and our inalienable rights come from the liberal Democrats who are elected. They believe that, the, uh, you know, we are, the, we are derived from government. They don't believe we are endowed by a creator because they believe that government created you. And that's one of the reasons uh, that they believe in basically handing over your guns and other things because what they don't want, okay, is they want you to believe that the government is the ultimate authority and you have no way to defend yourself, such as we see in Venezuela. This is, of course, America caused this, but the fact of the matter is – 
they don't want individuals able to change what isn't working. And uh, their, their theory is we can perfect what these countries are screwing up. We can perfect what Fidel Castro and Brezhnev and Gorbachev and, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un. That is their mindset and their theory. Everything revolves around government. And as long as they're part of it or they feel important or necessity, that is the world, the ultimate world they live in. Not in America, whereas the three of us have a show. And, uh, you know, John, you do your thing. Annie does her thing. And I do my thing. No, we all need to be what they see as, uh, you know, the utopia. That's it. Yeah, I wish the government didn't know I existed. I would be a lot happier if I was just like a ghost in <laughs> the machine there. Probably and, be a lot richer, too. Well, that, too. That would that would definitely help on that front. But I, I would be perfectly fine, you know, if I, if I look and start thinking, what do I need the government for? Not much, really. In fact, it's kind of – if you're involved with the government, you're probably not doing well as a general rule. Uh, and also, you know, when we're talking about the you know Christianity and, and you know, God – I would just say that you know and this is something I told a, a guy I knew one time who was atheist, and he was a pretty unhappy guy, and he asked me what it was like being Christian, like how it helped your life, and he was genuinely asking. And what I told him is, you know, it gives you a, a moral order to the universe. Like I was talking with Matt Walsh on my Planet Hawkins podcast uh, last week, and you know, one of the things we were saying is it's hard to have any type of objective morality. Without a belief in God, and the reason I say that is everything else. Uh, there is no arbitrary morality. I mean, we. I mean, well, I should say there is no arbitrary. Ar- morality is pretty arbitrary without God setting a rule down. You know, how do you sit down and say, well, this is a rule, this is right, without God saying it? It's very difficult to do because as humans, we all disagree on these things. There is no. I mean, if you look at animals, what moral rules do animals have? And if we have no God, there's no one up there, well, what are we doing? Why, why is it wrong to do something to another person? Why is it wrong to, to steal something? Why is it if it benefits you? I mean I tell you, my dog doesn't think twice about stealing food from another dog, right? I mean so just something to think about, something to toss out there. you know. And, and I do think for a lot of people, Faith can really help their lives. It can help them move back in the right direction. It can help give them a purpose. I, I agree. I've been posting up in the, I've been posting up in the chat room the link to your podcast, which is John Hawkins, your name dot l i b s y n dot com. There's also a link in the show page to Right Wing News and Brass Pills. People can click on that. As well as your book, 101 Things All Young Adults Should Know. Uh, you do a great job out there, John, and I'm glad things are going great for you. You got to let me know where you end up. Um, just have Jenny get a hold of me, and we'll bring you back on, and we'll talk about whatever your new gig is coming up. How's that, then? Absolutely, I will let you know. I hope to have. I hope something will be finalized here very soon. I, I was kind of surprised it hasn't been already, but soon. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I God really appreciate it. John, you are a rock star, John. God bless Keep it up. Work. Hey, thank you all so much. I really appreciate you having me on your show. And anytime you want me on, you just say the word. 
Absolutely. Wow. Be happy to have you. All right. Check well, out I guess, website, I guess this Hills. is where – go ahead, Annie. Sorry. No, I was just say uh, check out his website, which is brasspills.com and rightwingnews.com. You can also find him up on Twitter, John Hawkins, RN, RNS, I believe it is, uh, up on there. Just check it out. Anyway, Mike, I want to thank you for joining us. Curtis will be back next week. Uh, he's out at a book signing today. Um, but I want to thank you for hanging out with us today. And I'm, well, Annie, John was great to hang the- out the extra time. Yeah. He certainly was. This is the part, listening audience, where uh, big time Annie, big shot Annie, with all her millions of downloads worldwide now, says, I'm done with you, Mike, and just throws me out. And in comes Curtis back <laughs> for next week. But I've loved this, Annie. You, you were uh, a great show. And oftentimes, Annie, when, I'm, uh, when, when I dial in and you, you mentioned about hitting the button, oftentimes I just have you on the headset. I'm going door to door campaigning. But I'm still listening, and I've uh, I just enjoyed I enjoy the show very much. I'm honored that uh, I was able to fill in for Curtis today. It was just a great show. Both guests are just absolutely amazing. John is just amazing. I mean his his knowledge absolutely. of just conservatism. It, it's it's almost like a, a true Christian when they talk about the Bible. I mean, if you notice, he spoke with such passion about it. It was it just moving. Absolutely. And I will find out what happened to our other guest, William Highland. Uh, we were supposed to be talking about his book about George Mason. I'll see what's going on. Maybe we can have him on another show. But uh, that's all we got for today, folks. I want to thank everyone that's been up in the chat room over on Facebook, also that popped into the studio. We will be back here again next Friday. So I'm going to leave you with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, and I say good night and God bless. Have a good weekend, everyone.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.